Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, the Pac-12 Conference is going to lose UCLA and USC. They're going to lose them to the Big Ten, presumably. Let's just start with that premise. If they lose those teams to the Big Ten Conference, what becomes of the next best rivalry in this conference is it oregon oregon state is it oregon washington is it arizona arizona state is the is it the apple cup what's the next best rivalry and what can the pac-12 do to amplify said rivalry we started talking about it a little bit yesterday on the show and i want to double down with it uh, on the top of the show today we got great guests today at least woodward from espn is going to be joining us to talk about washington oregon She's got a Washington perspective. Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, will be with us. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, talk about their big game. It's Parents Weekend at Oregon State. It is also Cal and a chance for Oregon State to get to win number 7, win number 8, then win number 9. Like, that's how you, that's how you do it if you're Oregon State. And uh, they will uh, have an opportunity against Cal, Justin Wilcox, a team that has struggled a little bit in uh, recent weeks. Of course, this season's been a tough one. Um, I think it's really interesting to kind of look at some parallels between what we see this season and maybe the narratives from last offseason. Remember, uh, a lot of Duck fans were disappointed when Mario Cristobal announced that he was leaving, he was going to Miami. But Mario Cristobal came on the show, and he talked about the puppies. He talked about leaving players behind and uh, leaving uh, the University of Oregon not with a cupboard bear, but leaving the University of Oregon with uh, a chance to uh, have a future. Mario Cristobal talked about it. They're on the cusp. You know, you love being 3-0 against Washington. You love being undefeated. Um, against USC, had a chance to play UCLA three times, undefeated against them as well. And, you know, our, our record in the Pac-12 and overall over the past four years is the best of all the Pac-12 teams, a wide margin, you know. So, and the best players and the most talented players are returning and are freshmen and sophomore. So I think everyone's got to feel real good that the future is really, really set up well for whoever has the honor and the opportunity to come on in and coach those guys. Well, it became Dan Lanning, and uh, Dan Lanning has now uh, come on the scene at Oregon and is uh, obviously, uh, you know, navigating a season that has the Ducks sitting uh, pretty in the college football playoff picture. Uh, better than I thought they would be, right? Like, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago we were all kind of saying, look, it's a Rose Bowl or not. But you have Oregon now currently sitting within striking distance of those top four spots. And you could hear Mario Cristobal there leaving some players behind. But let's make no mistake, 
I think there are a lot of Duck fans that feel better about the program being in Dan Lanning's hands, even though he's a first-year coach, first-time head coach, who has nine games of experience. He's 8-1 and one in those nine games. The Ducks have remaining home games against Washington this weekend, coming up the number 25 team. The week after that, they get number 13, Utah, at home. And then the regular season finale at Oregon State. Now, those are three hard games. When you look at the playoff teams that are sitting in the top eight or ten spots, I think Oregon's got one of the toughest roads to be uh, to remain undefeated. And it's why I think if Oregon does win those three games, that Oregon's going to end up in the top four. And I think if they end up winning the conference championship game plus the next three, I think they're going to be very difficult for the selection committee to dismiss given their body of work. They would have uh, multiple wins over top 25 teams. Their only loss would be to number one Georgia. I think Dan Lanning's sitting pretty. But it got me thinking, as Justin Wilcox and Cal will be coming to the state of Oregon this weekend as well, they'll be playing over at Research Stadium. You know, there's a lot of people this season who have said, oh, goodness, so glad that Oregon – uh, you know, offered the job to Justin Wilcox. So glad he didn't take it. So glad it ended up going to Dan Lanning. Now, look, I like Dan Lanning. I think he's done a really good job. I think his offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, is very talented, very creative. I think Oregon would be uh, well-served to hang on to Kenny Dillingham. But uh, I don't think it would be that different a story for Oregon if Justin Wilcox had come in, taken the job, inherited that talent, the puppies that Mario Cristobal talked about, and and uh, gone to work. I think they would have lost to Georgia. I think they probably would have won all the other games. I think they'd be sitting here pretty much in the same position that they are today. So really where I'm looking, what I'm looking at Dan Lanning, and what I'm looking for from this Oregon coaching staff in the next month, it really is a month between, you know, now the Oregon will play presumably four games in the next uh, 27 days or so. And they will have Washington, Utah. They'll have the regular season finale against Oregon State. And then after that, the conference championship game in Las Vegas is uh, will come very quickly. So I think you're going to have four games, four opportunities potentially for Dan Lanning. It'll be a Friday. It'll be four weeks from Friday, in fact. It'll be December 2nd is the conference championship game in Vegas. But I think you're going to have an opportunity now to see, like, this is where we're going to judge Dan Lanning. Like, I think there's a lot of people who are, after week one, I can remember the phone calls on this show. They lost to Georgia. People were calling in. They were saying he's over in over his head. Uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, he's too young. His staff was overmatched. And, frankly, Kirby Smart, you know, he was probably spitting some truth after the game. A lot of people took it as shade, and I think it will come back up if Oregon ends up playing. Uh, if, if it ends up, you know, if these two teams end up playing, uh, I think this comment by Kirby Smart in the post-game news conference will be widely circulated. But was Kirby Smart not telling the truth when he said, hey, we just got better players? Well, it wasn't about Dan Lanning. You know, it really, really wasn't. I saw him before the game. Um, got a lot of respect for him. We talked about talking after the game and, and you know, telling each other tendencies or ideas we had to try to get better. Um, we agreed not to share with other people because it only hurts both of us. And he's... He's, I got a lot of respect for Dan. You know, we, some of those players were out on that field. Dan Lane recruited. And Dan Lane did a tremendous job for the University of Georgia, why he worked for the University of Georgia, and now he's working for Oregon. He's going to do a really good job at Oregon. He's relentless. And they'll bounce back from this, and uh, he knows that we, that we got better players. And uh, he'll never say it, but he knows we got better players, and I respect how he works. Kirby Smart said, we got better players. Uh, now I'm looking at this next four weeks, and I'm going, hey, look, Dan Lanning, take care of business against Washington. Take care of business at home against Utah. 
play the regular season finale at Oregon State. And by the way, Oregon State is built to scrap. Like at Research Stadium, look out. That's going to be a game on November 26th. I think it will be the hottest ticket that we have seen in some time in the rivalry. Uh, probably dating back to like 2008, 2009, that era when these uh, two programs under Mike Riley and Chip Kelly were competing for Rose Bowls. But, uh, you know, I'll judge Dan Lanning with what I see over the next three or four weeks. I think that's fair. I think that's where he can separate himself. And, and look, I think he's got better players. I think he has better players than Washington. I think he has a healthier, better team than Utah. I think he's better at most positions than Utah. And I think he's got better players than Oregon State has. He has to win these three games and then go to the conference championship game where he will presumably run into USC, maybe UCLA, and I think he's got better players. And I want to see USC in that game, but I think he's got better players. Meanwhile, though, you look around the rest of the conference and what is going on, you know, a lot of people at UCLA are upset today when the rankings came out. UCLA at number 12, USC at number 8. Now, the Bruins played a soft non-conference schedule, and I think it's hurting them in the rankings. Also, their loss to Oregon hurts them. Uh, clearly, the selection committee said, hey, you're not as good as Oregon. Let's put you uh, a distance from Oregon. And I think Oregon was 15 to 21 points better than UCLA at Autzen Stadium. On a neutral field, it would be a little closer. But I think that's kind of the margin. Uh, I'm looking at UCLA's path. If they win out, they would have, you know, wins over number eight USC. They would they have Arizona and Cal still left on the schedule. I think there's a good chance UCLA ends up beating USC in that rivalry game, and UCLA is the team that is represented uh, on the opposite side of the bracket from Oregon in the conference championship game. But the problem that UCLA has is that it is starting off at number twelve, like. The committee would have to leap the Bruins over, um, you know, a one-loss Clemson team, over a one-loss Tennessee team, over a two-loss LSU team, over a two-loss Alabama team, and over the eventual Michigan and Ohio State loser to get to the playoff. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but you're going to have to jump eight spots in three weeks. It can happen. And I think if there's some chaos in front of UCLA, it'll make it a little easier. But UCLA will play USC, and I think that gives them the biggest opportunity to jump three or four spots. But can they get eight spots higher just by winning three games in a conference championship game, potentially? Maybe, because they would have wins over Oregon if they won that title game. They'd have a win over USC, obviously, in the rivalry game. It puts them kind of on the cusp, in my mind, of the top four. So I think it's Oregon, I think it's USC, and I frankly think USC has the clearest path if they win out. I think there's no, there are fewer questions about USC, even though USC doesn't have a quality win, no wins. What's USC's best win? Over Oregon State at Research Stadium? Like, that's their best win. But the, the problem is that USC, there, there isn't an argument against USC, other than their defense, other than the fact that they don't have quality wins. If they win out, they will have wins over UCLA. They will have a win over Notre Dame, ranked team. They would presumably have a win over Oregon. And, uh, you know, their only blemish would be the one-point loss to Utah at Rice-Eccles Stadium. And I think the committee at that point is probably going to go, hey, you know what? It's okay. A one-point road loss to Utah, we can live with that. Maybe you're number four in the in the playoff picture. Keep an eye on all of that. I know UCLA today, you know, they haven't said a whole lot publicly but the people in the UCLA community, administrators at UCLA, I messaged with some of them today who said, you know, hey, look, we just got to take care of business. Uh, it comes down to that. Of course you do. But 
I kind of feel like there's a path here for a Pac-12 champion. If the Pac-12 champion can get through unblemished, if Oregon, if USC, if UCLA can get through unblemished and arrive at the end of the rainbow 12-1, and I think it's, the committee would have a difficult time keeping any of them out. Uh, I think U, UCLA's got the toughest road in front of it because of where it's starting. But uh, I'm very curious to see what the committee's going to do. Great show today coming up. We're going to give you our lean on the Pac-12 games. I'm on fire. Where am I leaning on all these Pac-12 games this weekend? I'll tell you. Uh, also, later in the program, we'll talk to Elise Woodward, who is a uh, Pac-12 network and ESPN broadcaster. She is going to give us the lowdown on Washington and some of the other teams in the Pac-12. We'll talk about Twitter and, and the stir that Elon Musk is ca- causing. Is he ruining Twitter? Is he helping Twitter? We'll talk about that on today's show. Plus, uh, what is Oregon State playing for right now? We'll deal with the Beavers, the Blazers, and more. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You guys see this story where uh, Russell Wilson is getting kind of defensive about what Pete Carroll and the Seahawks are saying about his wristband and all that. Geno Smith using a wristband at the games. And, uh, uh, you know, Russell Wilson apparently wore a wristband with a play sheet on it. And his teams went over Jacksonville. And he was asked uh, about, you know, uh, whether he would he ever wore one with the Seahawks. And then Pete Carroll yesterday went on Seattle 7:10 a.m. in his weekly appearance praising Geno Smith for wearing one this season. And Pete Carroll said that there had been resistance in the past to, uh, he did not name Russell Wilson by name, but he was talking about Russell Wilson. He said, uh, and then Russell Wilson was asked about it today, that you guys heard the the hubbub over this wristband. Uh, Yeah, I did. I saw it. I thought it was pretty silly, just all around right there. Uh, This is such a weird situation. Like, I'm pretty sure... 85% 85% of people thought that when that trade happened, the Broncos were getting the better deal of it. And now it's about 100% of people think that the Seattle Seahawks did. And we couldn't have been more wrong. So it's just, it's so weird now that everyone just piles on to Russell Wilson. And I don't even like the guy, but like, just, uh, you know, let, let's make a story out of him wearing a wristband. I don't know. It seems seems a little out of left field for Is me. Is it too soon to declare a winner in that trade? Like, yes. you know, because a lot of times the, we, we declare a winner and then we look back two years later and we go, okay, wait, never mind. I do. I think it's too early. I think uh, the Broncos, you know, they're going to show a willingness to spend and to uh, put the right guys around him. And, you know, whether Nathaniel Hackett's the guy or not, he could be out after one year because they have all the money with the, the new owners. So I think the Broncos are going to do whatever they can to make a winner. Yeah, I think uh, right now it looks like the Seahawks got the better of the deal because, you know, generally you, you would expect the veteran player to be the guy having the the immediate success and then the young guys come on later and you go okay what did the Seahawks get in this deal but the Seahawks are playing a whole bunch of the players that they got in that trade and they're making hay on it and everybody can plainly see that Russell Wilson is struggling a little bit uh Peter Sampson what do you make of this why by the way why is Pete Carroll feel the need to come out do you think Pete Carroll's feelings are hurt over something Russell did or 
do you felt the need to kind of throw that out uh, as part of this talk that he did? Well, clearly Russell Wilson wasted several years of Pete Carroll's prime, so <laughs> we got to let Pete cook. Uh, I hadn't heard this story. This is all silly to me. I think everyone's just piling on Russ, and I mean it's it's fun to do. I'm not a Seahawks fan, but Russell Wilson is a, a little obnoxious in my opinion, but sort of in in, in an innocent, not serious way. Uh, but I think everyone's piling on like who. This yeah. doesn't do anything for me. It, I, I just think it's weird. It's kind of a weird story. Like, okay, why, who cares if he needed a wristband and why was he allergic to yeah. it? And, oh, by the way, they won a whole bunch of games. Like, would the wristband have stopped Russell Wilson from throwing the ball on the goal line? Would, he, would it have said, throw, you know, hand it off to Marshawn instead? Like, did he, you know, uh, no. So what does it matter? They won some games. I kind of put this on Pete Carroll because he brought it up. Like, I don't think he had a reason to bring this up, but he brought it up. Uh, that said, let's pivot to the Pac-12 games this week. Uh, we'll give our official picks on tomorrow's show. But, guys, I want to know where you're leaning on these picks. I want to know kind of what your gut is. I, I'm just going to react as I see the spreads here in the games and kind of what I'm thinking. Um, USC on Friday is hosting Colorado. Bad team against good team as far as the standings go. This game's at 630 on FS1 on a Friday. In Los Angeles at the Coliseum, USC playing for a whole bunch of things. USC roughly a 34-point favorite, though, in this game. Uh, a lot to prove. Colorado going on the road. Steven, where are you leaning? Oh, man, there's a lot of points. It's It sucks that it goes from a great game in Oregon State, Washington on a Friday to a USC-Colorado game. Like That's a just total 180. Uh, I think I would lean Colorado, and the reason I, is, I am is because I leaned Colorado last week against Oregon, and it's about the same spread. So I think Oregon-USC is about <laughs> yeah, the same. Yeah, but Oregon covered. You were wrong last I, week. I was, but you know what? I'm going to stand by my stand by my views. <laughs> You're, right. I'm digging in. I'm doubling down, uh, and Colorado's going to get done for me right now. All right, Peter, where are you leaning? Uh, man, USC to cover. I'm not ever going with Colorado until they prove me wrong two weeks in a row. It's USC. I need to look harder at USC's defense in this one because USC's defense has not been good. But I'm I'm leaning towards USC and laying the points just because Oregon made it look so easy. That said, uh, you know, Colorado's been a little better on offense. They scored an early touchdown against Oregon. Uh, but then Oregon just ran away from them. I, I just I, I got to figure out if Colorado's here to play. Like, are they here to play, or are they just playing out the season as they go to USC? It's got to be pretty demoralizing when you lose and lose and lose, and you have an interim coach. I think sometimes that can get uh, super challenging for a team. So let's keep an eye and see what happens with uh, sort of the mindset of Colorado. But officially, uh, the picks will come out tomorrow. I'm I'm leaning with Peter here. I'm leaning USC and laying the points. But I'm going to think about this one overnight. Let's go to the second game. It's Arizona State at Washington State. Game's in Pullman. It's 12:30 kick. Nice and early on Saturday. Pac-12 Networks has the game. Uh, Washington State is a seven and a half point home favorite. I'll go first on this one. Washington State showed me something a week ago. I said it was put up or shut up time, and the offense showed up. They played well. Again, they are a home favorite. Bells should be going off in your mind when you see a home favorite. In the Pac-12 conference, the home favorites do not lose these games, and they mostly cover. I'll go Washington State. That's where I'm leaning. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think Arizona State wants anything to do with going up to Pullman, uh, you know, in the cold in the winter. So I, I think Washington State coming off a big week, 
uh, is going to get it done. Arizona State's defense given up 50 and 34 the last two weeks, and one of those was against Colorado. So I think Washington State can score on them. Yeah, that's unanimous. Uh, gave up 50 to UCLA. Washington State scored 50 against Stanford after a rough three weeks. They're going to cover. Next game is a big one. It's the rivalry game. Rich Brooks, uh, very interested in this game. He'll be in his seat at Autzen Stadium, he said. Four o'clock kickoff on Fox. Washington is at Oregon in a rivalry game where Oregon is a 13-and-a-half-point home favorite. Again, Bell should be going off, home favorite. There's no way Oregon loses this game. Uh, I think Oregon will win this game, and I think they will cover. They are playing to prove something. I don't think Washington can stop them. Ducks win this one big. Oh, man, I've been thinking about this game all week. Me and Judah were talking about it for about an hour earlier today. I, I'm leaning Washington plus the points. I think Oregon wins the game, but I could see Washington either getting in the back door or just scoring enough against this Oregon defense to cover the 13-and-a-half points. Uh, you know, I got some stats for you. Washington you know, leads the nation in yards per game uh, through the air, 369-and-a-half. That's almost 30 yards better than the next best team. 23rd in completion percentage of the Ducks, 127th in the nation in pass yards allowed per game. 300 a game. That's fifth to last in the nation. So I think Washington will be able to throw the football. All that matters is can they score in the red zone. We saw UCLA go up and down the field, couldn't convert in the red zone. If Washington can, I think they can cover. Uh, I think they will enough. So I think Washington plus the 13 and a half. Yeah, I, I just think Oregon's playing for too much right now. I mean, Washington, nice team. I don't see anything that jumps out to me and screams that they can hang with Oregon at this point. I'm taking the Ducks by two touchdowns. Yeah, not at Autzen Stadium. I think Steven is going to come to his senses overnight. We'll see tomorrow when he gives it's his a lean. It's a lean, guys. official pick. Uh, the next game on the docket for the Pac-12 is over at Reeser Stadium, 44 miles away from Autzen Stadium. Cal is traveling to Oregon State, 6 o'clock kickoff, Pac-12 Networks. Guys, I'm going to try to see parts of both games. Uh, uh, Cal is uh, a 13.5 to 14-point road dog. Again, another home favorite. Oregon State's going to win this game. The question is, will they cover the 13.5? I'm uh, I'm conflicted right now. This game is really hard for me because I think Oregon State will win. I think Oregon State will score in the high 20s, maybe low 30s. I'm defensively, will they be able to hold Cal to around 17 points? That's the question. So if uh, I, I'm torn on this one, and I'm leaning right now towards Cal and the points, but because uh, I think it's a lot of points for Oregon State's offense, but I don't have an official pick. I think Oregon State's going to win this game. My, my question is with the spread. Yeah, a uh, total at 49, so that's basically a 31-17 game. Can Oregon State get to 31 points? It seems like quite a lot. I'm with you, John. I'm kind of leaning Cal on this one uh, right now, plus the 14, but uh, I think Oregon State does get the job done, gets the win. But, man, to get 31 points against the Wilcox team with an offense that hasn't been great through the air, I think that's troublesome. But if Research Stadium, does it give you pause? Because that's where I keep, com- I keep coming back to Research Stadium, and I'm going, look, you have to look at what Oregon State has been at home. They're better at home. I think they're seven to ten points better at Reeser than they are anywhere else. And uh, you know, you, they made USC look bad at home. They made Washington State look terrible at home. Cal, I think, sets up nicely for Oregon State. So overnight, I may work this out. But yeah, I'm, with, I'm, with, with that said, the Oregon State defense might hold Cal to ten. Right? Yes. Like I just said, it's thirty-one seventeen. It could be twenty-eight ten, and Oregon State just dominates this game. So I'm with you. It's a lean right now to Cal, but again, by tomorrow I may be talking yeah, about it. Yeah, I'm in the same position. I don't think there's any way Oregon State loses the game. I just I'm curious about, and I'm 
hung up on 13 and a half, 14. Peter, where are you? Yeah, see, I'm going the other way. I think the Beavers cover this. Cal's offense, not great. The defense has been good, but, I mean, to be fair, it is against two uh, pretty high-powered offenses, Oregon and USC, but uh, they certainly didn't hold them in the 20s or 30s. Uh, I just think the Beavers, with the home field advantage, man, they're going to cover this game. Here comes another one, another home favorite. Stanford's going to Utah, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Bunch of home favorites in this uh, in this week. If you're if you're uh, in Vegas, play the money line on all these home favorites. But uh, Stanford's at Utah. It's a 24 point spread right now. Um, Utah's gaming the entire season for next week, not this weekend. Next weekend when they play Oregon. So I have some concerns about the 24 in this game. Mild, but Rice Eccles Stadium and Stanford being so bad kind of lays it to rest. This game, to me, has like 34-7, 34-10, maybe 38-10 written all over it. And for that reason, I'm leaning Utah and laying 24. But I don't feel great about it because I think there's a really good chance that Kyle Whittingham and Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator, I think there's a really good chance that they try to shorten this game up, get some of their starters off the field, because they are trying to get healthy for November 19th in Autzen Stadium. And so I, I'm a little worried about the 24 in this game, but no way does Utah lose to Stanford. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I think Utah, it's kind of like last week when they played Arizona at home. They just did what they wanted to do. They need to get in and get out, stay healthy for that Oregon game. But I do think they can still cover the 23 and a half, uh, even, even against Stanford, who I just think has been struggling so badly this year. Uh, and like you said, all these home favorites, John, I think Vegas is catching up on you. All the all the uh, home teams this week, eight points or higher favorite yeah. at home this week. So uh, Everybody's a home favorite. Yeah, interesting this week. But, yeah, I would take uh, Utah minus the points. Yeah, all six games have home favorites. Peter, what are you thinking? Yeah, Utah minus the points. I mean, you bring up a great point, though, about them maybe just trying to get in and get out. But, I mean, it's certainly not going to be Stanford's offense that does anything. Yeah. They haven't scored more than 14 points in more than a month. So it's definitely not going to be them. And Rice Eccles Stadium, I think, is the greatest home field advantage in the conference. Um, I, I'm, I'm just some some bells are going off in my mind here as I look at this game because Utah isn't playing for the playoff. They know they're not. They're already at two losses. They're not playing for the playoff, but they're playing to try to win a conference championship. And to do that, they've got to upset Oregon in a week, and they got to win out. And so. You, I've watched them how they've managed games here in the last few weeks. Cam Rising not playing at Washington State. Tavion Thomas not making the trip. Like they were, you know, I think they were gaming the system two weeks ago. I think Kyle Whittingham's really smart. And so I think there's a really good chance that he tries to win that game and win it like 28 7 and get some guys off the field and get some young guys playing. But keep an eye on it. Finally, Arizona is at UCLA. Again, another home favorite. Oh, the sixth one in a row, 7.30 on Fox. This is the late game. UCLA not happy about this. Yet UCLA is a 19-and-a-half-point home favorite. Uh, I'm leaning UCLA in this one. Uh, again, I think they win the game. Uh, I think they win it pretty easily. I think Chip Kelly and UCLA know that they need style points. They're at number 12. And I think Arizona's just about out of gas. I think we saw it last week where they just, you know, they, they had some games like the USC game where they could score and they could hang around. They, they you know, they, they tended to put up 28 to 35 points in some of these losses. But I kind of just feel like they've hit a wall, and now they're going to encounter UCLA, and I, you know, I just don't see it. I don't think Arizona has a lot left in the tank. Yeah, they've been a feisty bunch all year, but this is the uh, the fifth game of a very tough uh, stretch for 
uh, Arizona, Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah, the last four games. They've given up 49, 49, 45, 45. I, I imagine UCLA is going to score 45 points at least. Uh, so, yeah, I would take UCLA, and I would lay the points. Yeah, that's that's unanimous. That defense has been terrible. It's been a tough stretch, UCLA all the way. I think if you're in Vegas, you money line, play the just play the money line, UCLA, Utah, Oregon State, Oregon, Washington State, USC. I don't know what kind of odds you're going to get on that. I looked it up for you, John. Yeah, tell uh, me. So the, so the USC money line's not out because it's such a big spread and it's on Friday, so they don't have that out yet. Okay. But, if, but if you do the five games on Saturday, you bet $100, you do the home team's money line win, 112 bucks. Yeah. Come back. <laughs> Plus 112 <laughs> You're not getting a lot back, no. are you? No. Is it worth it? Nah. No. Probably There's got to be one it. upset, right? There's got to be one. But uh, All right, what happens if you did Oregon, Oregon State, Utah? On the money line, uh, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah. Let's check yeah. it out here. Uh, so you bet a hundred dollars. Uh, typing, typing, typing. You win seventy-seven. You win forty-eight fifty-seven. <laughs> it's not worth <laughs> it. They get you, but that's what's going to happen. So you know, I don't want you to go put a half a million dollars on this, but if you wanted to make a quick uh, two hundred thirty-seven thousand, that's how you do it. All right, uh, leave it here. Coming up, uh, we'll play some punch it audio later in the show. Uh, we're going to talk about what Oregon State is playing for. We talk a lot about the playoff teams, but what are the Beavers playing for right now for the rest of this season? What's the difference between a successful finish for Jonathan Smith's team and not? Plus, uh, we will talk about Bo Nix, the possibility of Bo Nix returning for another season. People are murmuring about it. Uh, is this necessarily a good thing if Bo Nix comes back? I think there's a downside. We'll talk about it. <laughs> You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We got a whole bunch of people working on this show that rarely get credit. I want to give credit to uh, researcher John. JP uh, points out that, uh, you know, Dan Lanning's not the first rookie coach in the history of the Pac-12 or Pac-10 conference who is challenging for a championship in his rookie season. Uh, Chip Kelly challenged as well, but that first year, first time head coach Dan Lanning lost his first game. In 1976, September of 1976, a young John Robinson at USC lost a home opener at the Coliseum to Missouri, 46-25. Three months later, Robinson's USC team beat Michigan in the 1977 Rose Bowl game. Uh, Robinson's 87 years old. He's got some connection to the state of Oregon. We've had him on this show. I reached out to him today. We're getting John Robinson on the show, hopefully, uh, in the coming coming weeks. But uh, I reached out to him. (laughs) I left him a voicemail, guys, and then... I also texted him. Do you think 87-year-old guy is texting? Yeah, I think so. I think people that sharp too, you know, like he, you know, he he was on top of it when he was a coach. I think he's still on it. We'll see. We'll see if he uh, responds, but uh it it kind of I, I just love that context that you've had a guy who is uh, you know, has done it before and and came back from from uh, a tough loss in his opening season, but USC uh, he was with the Trojans from 1976 to 1982. Then people may remember he went to the Rams to become head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. You're Rams, Peter Sampson. So 
Dan Lanning and uh, Oregon very clearly trying to get to the playoff. What's Jonathan Smith playing for, guys? What's a, what's a successful season for Oregon State? What's well, making it? Well, you know, they can still get to double-digit wins if they win out, get to a bowl game, win that. I think that would be great, obviously. Uh, they're still going for the most wins in the Jonathan Smith era. I think yeah. that's a big one. Um, I, I think right now, if they were to win their next two games, get to eight wins in the regular season, I think that's a successful season. Uh, one more than last year. Yeah, one more than last year. you got to keep building. They did some things this year that they didn't do year before. You know, they won their opening game against Boise. They won a tough game at Fresno State. Uh, you know, I, I think you got to win the two, win the next two and then play competitively against Oregon. I don't necessarily think that they're going to win that game, but be competitive against that game against Oregon. I think that's a step forward. I think that, you know, I agree with you, and I think you know you're right about them doing some things they didn't do. They they were a terrible road team a year ago. They win at Fresno State, as you mentioned. Uh, they they won the game at Stanford, 28-27. Uh, late in the game, uh, that you know, there are their road wins. They haven't been the same team on the road. I would like to see them win at Arizona State on the 19th of November, but they've got to be. They got to win this Cal game because I kind of feel like this is the game. Because if they win the Cal game, I do think they can go on the road and beat Arizona State, and that they'll be at eight wins. Then they'll be coming back home against Oregon and look out because uh, you know, I'm not saying that Oregon State's going to beat Oregon. I'm not ready to make that pick. But uh, Oregon State's built to rumble, and they're going to play Oregon in that regular season finale at home where they rumble better. And so I think, you know, that could be if Oregon plays tight, if Oregon doesn't come to play in that game, uh, that could be a tough one. And, and, again, I mentioned yesterday the tickets for that game are, you know, it, it's tough. It's, a, it's going to be a tough ticket, maybe the toughest ticket in the history of the Civil War, given the 26,000 seats that are at Research Stadium. There's there's high demand for this game and very few tickets, so keep an eye on that. I think it's a really important game. But for me, I think it's the Cal game. I think if they beat Cal, they'll be sitting on seven wins and presumably in position to get number eight. And then who knows in the game formerly known as the Civil War, which will be on ABC or ESPN on uh, November 26th, and then, you know, that puts them in a Sun Bowl or better position, which is better than the L.A. Bowl that they got a year ago. So they have more wins in the regular season than a year ago. They'd have a better bowl game than a year ago. And at that point, you're going, hey, this is another building block. Well, I think you're right. Is both these games against Cal and Arizona State, I kind of said it like I'm assuming they're going to win. I think they're both tough. Right, like you talked about this Cal game, I think it could be closer than what you know the spread even can be. And then Arizona State, they can score some points at home, and it's going to be a road game, which Oregon State has still struggled on the road a little bit, even though they got a couple wins. I, they're not given wins yet, so I do think they have a lot to play for. And at home, I and I'm tired. You know, look, I get it. Everybody's better, a little bit better at home, especially in the Pac-12 conference. The home field is, for some reason, it just matters. It's like an NBA arena, but. I also am looking forward to seeing Oregon State play better road games, and it has to start in two weeks on the 19th at Arizona State. Like, that is a winnable road game for a team that is really, you know, they won at Stanford, they won at Fresno State. Last year they were bad on the road. This is this is new stuff. And, again, you want to take steps, take steps, yeah, take it, steps. It's a game that if you want to take those steps to be a true contender in the Pac-12, you have to win these games. Right, and that's what Jonathan yeah. Smith wants to do. He wants to get to Vegas. If you want to be those contenders, you have to win games at Arizona State. Let's go to the phone lines. Brian's in Milwaukee. Brian, what's a successful season for the Beavers? Nine and three. That's it. And then go to a great bowl. 
Stephen, you know me. Uh, that's what I'm saying is successful, and that's what I would have told you as a high school athlete growing up. So, did you know? Did you know young Stephen when he was growing up? Oh yeah. Did he? Did oh, he have, does he have him. any hops? Can he jump? Him. Can he jump? Can he play? Is he coachable? Oh, my God, and I prayed that he would come out. I was a football coach coaching freshman basketball, and I so wanted him to be a free safety on my team, and I never could get it. So, But I love Steven. He's a new Could have been driver, something. And he drives me around. So could have been, you could have been somebody, Steven. You could have been somebody. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's Coach Freetag. He's the man. I love that guy. <laughs> He, he, he taught me the best lesson I ever got taught in sports, and uh, it was after my first game in seventh grade basketball. Uh, I came over and played for Putnam after playing in Clackamas, and then I came off the bench. I scored a bunch of points, and he goes to me after the game, and the next game he goes, Steve, are you the best player on the team? I was like, I don't know. Maybe. He's like, you are. You're the best player. He goes, you need to play with confidence, and ever since that moment, I've never hmm. forgot that. Be confident. Yeah. There you go. James in Portland is called in. I want to hear from James. What's up, man? John, what's happening, brother? Long time no chat. Good to see you're still killing it. And uh, so how awesome is it to be in the Northwest right now as a sports fan? Seriously, let's start with the Ducks. I mean, you know, whatever they do on the field is amazing. But Dan Lanning is the man, John. And I love your interviews with him. I, I just love actually having a head football coach in the NCAA that I actually trust and believe. And his comment about not having to move his kids for like the – 10th time and just he, he's legit and he's also like not just a good coach he's just a good dude and then I mean the Blazers look at him the other night Dame passing it up to heart to just drain it for the win I mean it was awesome to see Dame pass but it's also awesome to see the Blazers play some actual team defense and I'll even give some props out to your boy you know Jonathan Smith and uh, the Beavs down at the uh, Research Stadium the worst salsa ever but God they're playing some good football and that boy can turn <laughs> That boy can turn three stars into four stars, dude. That guy can coach him up. You know what uh, I like about Jonathan. him? Let me tell you something I like about Jonathan Smith, all right? that He's a real person, okay? Some of these coaches, and I think Dan Lanning's real too. Like, I, I actually think right now we have probably the most authentic two coaches that have coached uh, Oregon and Oregon State simultaneously. Like, authentic, I think you, I think you the listener, I think you know who Dan Lanning is. Like, really. Like, I don't think he's telling you and acting like what he wants you to think he is. I think he's actually being real and he's letting you see who he is. And I think that's a rare thing. And I think Jonathan Smith's the same damn thing. But I'll tell you something about Jonathan Smith at Husky Stadium. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'm on fire with my picks. You know, and I've been posting them every Thursday at johnconzano.com so people can see, hey, where's the game time? Here's the spread. Here's the pick. Now, people uh, can sign up at, at johnconzano.com for a free subscription, and they can get a paid subscription. Uh, the, the paid subscribers get everything, okay? They'll get to, they never miss a thing. The free subscribers get a lot of the stuff. Well, it just so happened last week with my picks on fire that the paid subscribers only got the picks, okay? So the free subscribers didn't get it. So I'm on the sideline at Husky Stadium right before the game, minding my own business, watching Oregon State warm up, kind of looking at the wind, whatever. Suddenly, Jonathan Smith is beside me. And he says, hey, what's the deal? And I said, what do you mean? He says, 
I went to look at your picks, and I got I got to sign up for a subscription now. I got a paid subscription so I can get the picks. And I said, hey man, it won't be every week, like <laughs> you know, like. But he wanted to know who I picked in the game, and I said, look, I picked I picked you guys to win because I picked them to win close. And of course, with the four and a half points, I end up a winner. But uh, I picked them to win the game close, and uh, I thought they would win on the win outright. So you know, I went five and one straight up. That was my one loss. But I also won that game because I had Oregon State plus the four and a half, uh, and they covered. But I just think it's really interesting. Like, what other coach is going to admit to you, a that he's a, you know he's got a free subscription, not a paid subscription, and b he wants to know who I picked in the game, and we're standing there on the sideline at the game. Like he's just like the coaching's done, and now he's just kind of waiting for kickoff. And I find a lot of head coaches in that setting are very uptight. They, they're focused on the game, whatnot, you know. But I, Jonathan Smith, I've, I've encountered him a couple times in that setting where one time he started talking to me about the Dodgers starting pitchers. And, and, a, and then this week he, he just wants to, you know, hey, who'd you pick in this game? Because I wasn't able to see because I'm a free subscriber, not a paid subscriber. I just thought that was charming. But doesn't that prove that, like, coaches and players, they see and hear almost everything? Yes. That's the other thing. I told that to another writer, and they go, they go, he's reading everything. They all, they all read. Or if they don't read, somebody very close to them reads, right, and then tells them. And uh, you know, we'll see. You know, I think it's interesting. You know, I'll just tell people, like, you know, Jonathan Smith subscribes to JohnConzano.com, and so does Dan Lanning. Like, both of them are subscribers. They're both reading. Well, it's like during that the game on Friday, you texted me and said after the Beavers scored a touchdown, they pointed up to me because I picked against them. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, you right. Know what? Anything I could do to motivate the bees, I'll do it. That's right. There you go. Leave it here. Our big splash is coming up. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on seven fifty. The game. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get accused of being a jerk. I know that with what I'm about to say. Okay. You guys tell me if I'm being a jerk. Okay, so uh, went to the dentist today. New dentist, new office. Checking in with the dentist. You know that. You know the, this is an unfamiliar thing. I'm not big on sharing a bunch of personal information and making a bunch of small talk when I'm in the dental chair. And the assistant, nice person, meant well. I get it. She's trying to you know create some rapport with the patient. I understand that. But she was asking me a bunch of questions. You know, she wanted to know about kids and wife and, you know, how long have I lived here and all. And and I was being as vague, intentionally vague as I could possibly be without being rude. Kind of giving her like the Uncle Buck, you know, yes, no answers, you know. <laughs> and And I finally, after she asked me about five or six questions, I finally just said, hey, I know you mean well. I don't mean to be rude, but I'm just not comfortable, you know, giving you a bunch of personal information here. Am am I a jerk for saying that? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't know that I'd call you a jerk. Uh, I think she should have got the message. Like you can tell, as a former yes. as a former Uber and Lyft driver, like I usually let the people decide if they want to talk. If they start talking to me, I'll talk back. Because anytime I tried to start a conversation, you can tell if somebody wants to talk to you. Yes. And so I don't think that you're a jerk because you don't you didn't want to talk about it. And I think you went about it the right way. 
But, I mean, you know, social norms would say you probably should just be nice and talk to him back. But I don't know. I, I, don't, think you, I don't think you're wrong. I, I actually thought about Uber when I was sitting there. Because I'm sitting there, and she's doing x-rays. And, you know, it's that initial patient thing that's happening. And she was really nice. Like, she was, it wasn't that she was abrasive or rude or anything. But I just was like, I don't know you. And I know you're just making this talk to kind of create some rapport. And I understand why, you know, medical professionals do that. But I also was like, you know what? Um, I don't need to tell you how long I've lived here. Yeah, it also depends on what she wants <laughs> like, to know. Like, that's a, like I agree with you. Like, that, Where do you live? These are the questions. Where do you live? What's your address? Yeah, how long have you lived here? You got social security Okay, she said, where do you live? I said, nearby. Then she said, how long have you lived here? I said, a while. Well, that should have been the first the first <laughs> sign of, like, he, this guy yeah. doesn't want to talk to me. And then she said, uh, what do you do for work? And at, at that point, it's obvious to me. I'm like, she's not a sports fan. What is the point of getting into all this? Because the next question is going to be, what's your favorite sport and all this stuff. So I said, you know, I just I do a job that's related to sports. And she went, oh. And then she said, she paused and she said, do you have kids? Are you married? And I said, you know. I'm just not real comfortable talking about this. It's nothing against you. You seem nice. Peter, am I a jerk? I mean, did she was stuff in your mouth? Were fingers in your mouth? Kind did you of. Have it was in between. It was in between yeah. everything. Yeah. You know? Look, you're definitely not a jerk, and I think most people would have bowed <laughs> in and you know answered the. <laughs> but I mean, again, I think Stephen hit it, man. It, it, he, you got to recognize the cues if you're being vague. Uh, read the a while. room. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, read the room, especially. The dentist is the one place that needs to understand that a lot of people are going to have a hard time responding. You know what I mean? They're but she was there? she was doing it in between. Like, she would take one x-ray, mm. and then she'd ask me a question. And I was just like, oh, what is she going to ask me next? And then, and then, uh, and also, part of it is in the morning, as I lead into the show, I'm less social in the morning. I am. I'm yeah. just like, I need to be caffeinated. I need to get going. But here's the rub. So Anna had an appointment at the same dental office just a little bit ago. So I just talked to her, and she said, Hey, the uh, dental assistant asked me, are you comfortable if I ask you questions? I don't think your husband liked me asking him <laughs> questions this morning. <laughs> so Anna will join us coming up. You started a new, uh, new what is it called, a um format, a new format for him. Yeah, I, I actually think it was a Larry David moment, yeah, and I'm just really like, is. I'm... I'm not here. Like, if you're getting a massage, you're getting an Uber, or I'm at the dentist. I feel like that. That's a professional setting. Like, I, I, I shouldn't be interrogated. I'm pretty sure there's an episode like that. Yeah, is there? I hope <laughs> we'll find out. Punch it audio's coming up. Plus, we'll talk to Elise Woodward of ESPN about Washington, Oregon. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Now all my friends who work in the medical field are saying, oh, you should have just answered questions and been polite. Maybe I should have just given her fake answers. What do you do for work? I'm a lumberjack. If you ever want to be like a second person, like, you know. <laughs> I should have said that. They say, uh, hey, you know, you have, you're married, you have kids. Yes, eight kids. But you know what, John? You you did the you did it the hard way, right? I know. These people in the profession say it's easy just to talk to her. Yeah, but you know what? The hard way is not to. 
You want to do it the easy way or the hard way? Let's do it the hard way. It's, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I just felt like, A, I wasn't in the mood to have a fake conversation. You know, half of that small talk stuff, I don't like it. Like, if we're having a real conversation, let's have a, like, if she wanted to tell me her opinion on, you know, when you're pulling into a parking lot, should you back in or should you pull in nose first? I'll have that conversation with her. Like, let's have that conversation. If she's interested in my medical history, let's talk about my medical history. Am I on any medications? No. All right, moving on. You know? Like, she doesn't really care about the kids or the wife. Yeah. Unless she's hitting on you. That's no, that, yeah, I think not. Because when Anna went in there, <laughs> I think when Anna went in there, her quick, she was tiptoeing around Anna. And I, that's happened more than once with me. Anna's the nicer of the two of us, okay? She's the more cordial. She's more socially, uh, uh, you know, interested in having small talk conversations. I draw boundaries pretty quickly, and I blow up the bridge after I go over it. That's how I operate, okay? We're advancing. I get it. it. We're advancing into enemy territory, and as I advance, I blow up the bridge, so no one can go over it behind me. Perfect. So uh, we'll find out when Anna comes in how much of a problem did I cause by not answering the questions. What should I say my profession is? If that ever comes up again, I'm going to be a fake person. What's my profession? I'm a UFC fighter. What am I? Ooh, UFC Lumberjack? Well, the thing is, is you you have to choose something that you know enough about if they want to go into detail. Like, you have to be able to be comfortable lying about it. I'm an arborist. Yeah. You know? Marine biologist. I'm a marine. I am a marine biologist. It's a small leap Architect. into that. If you're going to pick a fake profession, Peter Sampson... What are you picking? What's what's your profession? Oh man, that's a tough question. I think I'm a, You're I'm a pro- chef. I'm a ranch hand. Ranch hand. I like that. That would have been a good one. Yeah, I work on the Yellowstone Ranch. That's what I should have said. All right, we're gonna play some punch and audio. Elise Woodward's coming up uh, at four thirty today. She's gonna join us to talk about Oregon, Washington, and other Pac-12 games. She is a uh, broadcaster at ESPN and the Pac-12 Network. She'll be along to. Uh, Kind of give us what she knows about rivalries, rivalry games, the Washington side of the story. Softy from KJR in Seattle on tomorrow's show should be fun. Jonathan Smith coming up 5.30 right here. Uh, Giddy up. Let's go. Punch it audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Joey Galloway on the college football playoff selection reveal show. Joey Galloway talking about Oregon. If Oregon wins out, what should happen? Here he is, Punch It. With Oregon moving up two spots right here, I don't know that the committee is necessarily holding that loss against this Oregon team. When you when you look at Oregon with now ranked Washington next, Utah after that, who's now at 13. If this Oregon team continues to play and continues to dominate the way they have, runs the rest of their schedule and then plays in the Pac-12 championship game and gets that win, I don't know that that loss of Georgia is going to hold them back. I think the committee is showing a pretty good respect for this Oregon team and the way they've played and what they've done since week one. The committee, in my opinion, is telling Oregon, we're not going to forget that game, but we could forgive it. I think that's the message they're sending by putting Oregon as high as number six. They have a path. The question comes behind Oregon. 
You've got USC sitting at 8, and you have UCLA at 12. There's a lot of confusion about why USC is four spots in front of UCLA. Joel Klatt talked about it. Punch it. I just don't understand. I've done the mock committee, and at the end, you know, you sit there and you look at it, and you look at the entire top 25, and, and if anyone has an objection, it's kind of like a wedding. It's like, speak now or forever hold your peace. Like, how does someone not raise their hand and say, like, hey, like, we probably should revisit UCLA four spots behind USC because it doesn't make any sense. I've tried to make it make sense, and it doesn't. They both have the same record, and yet UCLA has two wins over college football playoff-ranked teams. USC, zero. So it's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> I, how, did, how did this happen? And I can't tell you. I literally cannot tell you. There is no data point that I can point to that suggests that USC is four spots ahead of UCLA. I think the committee last week put Tennessee at one and said, prove us wrong. And then Georgia went out and beat Tennessee pretty convincingly. I, I, you know, look, this is not, this is not perfect science, right? This is, some of this is, I mean, it's all subjective. Let's be real. It's not a real playoff. Let's start with that. It's a, it's a invitational tournament. Four teams will get invited to this invitational tournament and it's completely subjective. And so I think the committee is saying to USC and UCLA, prove us wrong in the same way that they did with Tennessee and Georgia. And there's some of this that goes on. I think they know that, hey, this is going to get settled. They're going to play each other in two weeks. November 19th is a huge weekend for the Pac-12. USC or UCLA will decide which of those two teams is going to take a step in front. And Utah is going to try to derail Oregon. If Utah derails Oregon and USC beats UCLA, look out. It could be messy in Vegas. But I think the committee is putting USC in that position because the eye test with USC says, hey, that offense is pretty darn dynamic. And Caleb Williams. And, look, it brings eyeballs, and there's a USC brand that I think is interesting. But I think they're saying prove us wrong because they know this will get settled. We've seen it before. Like, putting Tennessee at one, they go, hey, prove us wrong. And Tennessee did it. Or Georgia proved it wrong, rather. Reese Davis, getting a lot of heat for his comments about the Ducks at number six. Here he is talking about teams that aren't getting enough attention. Who's he talking about? Here's Reese Davis. Punch it. I think we're talking about most of them, but you probably hit it with USC. Uh, Oregon would be an interesting case study because I've always been one that if you have a behemoth loss, uh, as Oregon did losing by 46, years ago Penn State had a 39 point loss and didn't get in Ohio State had a 31 point loss didn't get in and I've sort of felt like that was the right course of action um, because if you are capable of getting beaten down like that if you have such a small tournament just four teams and every little thing's got to count and getting your doors blown off should count so but I do think that there is a scenario under which Oregon uh, could make it make it an interesting debate and maybe could get in there on selection day and I think the the same could be true for USC and of course if LSU is a two loss SEC champion uh, I sort of feel like they have a ceiling on them because they got their doors blown off by Tennessee at home Uh, I 
be hard-pressed to find a scenario in which I would favor LSU over Tennessee. So, you know, it's LSU, though. LSU, Oregon, and SC, and maybe UCLA, uh, who probably is a little bit undervalued by the committee right now, would be the teams that aren't getting as much attention that, that could wind up there. Reese Davis talking me in a circle there. Like, look, if you are, if you think Oregon's loss to Georgia is too much to forget, just say it. But, you know, he is the biggest hater in the land when it comes to that loss. I think it matters when it happened. I do. And I think the committee said that. They pretty much voted that by putting Oregon at number six. If Oregon had lost a week ago in embarrassing fashion to Georgia, I think it's a much different story. The narrative of your season matters. The arc of a season matters. The fact that it came in week one, the fact that it came in Atlanta, the fact that it was Dan Lanning's first game and Bo Nix's first game and Oregon looks markedly better than they did in week one, Like that, I think that all matters. That's part of the story. It's part of the arc. Anybody who's told a story knows that, you know, you start off. What happens in the beginning of every Disney movie, guys? The parents die. <laughs> That's what happens. Somebody's orphaned. It's terrible stuff. And then the whole rest of the story is how Bambi overcomes. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Peter Pan. Those kids are, what you know, do they have parents? I don't know. But Oregon essentially had the adversity happen in week one it's a disney story and now they're trying to overcome it trying to get to the end of this arc in a way that puts them into the playoff and you know gives them another chance to play georgia i mean this is captain hook and is that is the conference championship enough of a thing to bump them up over tennessee and hit and you know hurt that adversity and make it better that's that's the question because i think the same resume they'll both have lost to georgia but tennessee lost by less Oregon has the conference title. And I think it ha- I think that's why like look, you have you have Washington this week, then you have Utah at home. Then the regular season finale at Oregon State, and then the conference championship game. Oregon has four chances to posture. I think it's why the next two weeks in particular, Washington and Utah are huge for Oregon because I think the way Oregon State is built, having the game at Research Stadium and the way Oregon State plays is potentially problematic for Oregon because I don't think there's going to be a whole bunch of style points available for the Ducks in that game at Research Stadium. I think the style points are going to have to come in the next two weeks. And, you know, I'm I'm looking over at the SEC. It, there's a really good chance that there's an SEC problem that is looming for the Pac-12. Like, look, I'll, st- I'll say it. You know, Georgia's going to win the SEC East. The best-case scenario for the Pac-12 is that Georgia wins out and blasts the SEC West champion, either LSU or Mississippi. And then Georgia's the one seed. But if that doesn't happen, there's a problem here. Because Tennessee at number five, their only loss is to Georgia. And it came by a more respectable score than Oregon. 14-point loss. If the Ducks win out, they're going to have to have some style points to get ahead of Tennessee. Or Tennessee's going to have to stumble or not look good. And, oh, by the way, what happens to the Final Four if Mississippi or LSU get to the SEC title game and beat Georgia? There's no way the committee is keeping one lost Georgia out of the playoff. And in that scenario, I think you would have Mississippi or LSU in the Final Four and Georgia in the Final Four. And then if you're Oregon, you got to slip in front of Tennessee. Like, you know, I don't think they put three SEC teams in there, but... It, there's a SEC problem that is looming. 
So I think Oregon's got to make hay this week against Washington. Got to look good on November 19th against Utah. Win the game against Oregon State. And then go to Vegas. And I think it's Oregon's in Oregon's best interest to encounter USC in Vegas. Because USC is going to validate you more than beating UCLA a second time. But, you know, this is going to be fun to watch as it comes down the pipeline. Adrian Wojnarowski talking about Jock Vaughn, interim head coach of the Nets. Not Ime Udoka. Jock Vaughn getting the job. Punch it. Say the, the Brooklyn Nets uh, are going to keep Jacques Vaughn as their head coach, uh, taking away that interim label and putting him in charge now, uh, certainly for the foreseeable future, the, the rest of the season. And listen, this was an organization who last week when they made the change with Steve Nash, I think there was a lot of momentum toward uh, Ima Udoka as their next head coach. But I think is Vaughn has you know, stabilized this team one you know, won a couple of back-to-back games on the road, uh, played well in a loss to Dallas, and now they've got New York tonight uh, in Barclays uh, against the Knicks. I think for the Nets, there's a comfort level with Jacques Vaughn. He was their head coach in the bubble after Kenny Atkinson uh, was let go as coach. And I think right now they see a stabilizing uh, presence in Vaughn and I think just I think there's no question with Ime Udoka, and, and certainly uh, some of the backlash that would have come with his hiring. I, I think Udoka is going to be a head coach again in this NBA, uh, perhaps as soon as this off season. Uh, but I think the timing for Udoka and the Nets just think it didn't match up with all that was going on. And I think Brooklyn Fields with Jacques Vaughn, they've got a coach who they believe has the respect of their players and and has stabilized the team that was somewhat in free fall when he took over uh, last week. Was this a vote in favor of Jock Vaughn or against Ime Udoka, guys? Uh, I think against Ime Udoka. Uh, I, I don't necessarily know that it came from Adam Silver, but I could see where someone from the NBA office said, hey, you know, hey, Brooklyn, maybe rethink this right now. This is getting a lot of bad, uh, <laughs> lot of bad juju here, so... Uh, yeah, I think it was more of a Ime Udoka situation. Yeah, I know I know some of the people in the Nets organization were trying to get Joe Sy's ear and tell him, like, you really should probably rethink this. Do you think if the Kyrie Irving situation isn't a big distraction that Udoka gets the job? I do. Yeah. I do. I think I think they couldn't they couldn't put on another bad storyline for that Brooklyn Nets team. By the way, the Nets are currently advertising they have an opening. Their PR coordinator position is uh, open right now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine <laughs> having to do that job? I know. Well, I asked Peter this on the Pulse last night. If you had to coach either the Lakers or the Nets, they offer you those jobs, John Canzano. What job Lakers. are you taking? I'm taking the Lakers job. Yeah. Same. I'm not dealing with Kyrie. I'm not dealing with Kevin Durant. I can handle LeBron. That's one person. And I can get through a season being in L.A. <laughs> versus Brooklyn. Uh, that's Punch It Audio, best sound from all around. Uh, w- more ahead, we're going to talk about the Washington-Oregon rivalry with Elise Woodward. We'll talk about the rest of the Pac-12 with her as well. She is a broadcaster for ESPN and the Pac-12 Network. She'll be joining us. Plus, Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, is coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game.
Well, let's see. We've covered some ground on today's show. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I've admitted I'm not really talking to the uh, dental assistant. Uh, uh, I dated a dental hygienist, so I, 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 uh, I know what the rapport is like in an office back in the day. Uh, we've uh, no talking to the dental assistant. We, uh, we have established that the uh, bad things happen in the beginning of Disney stories. Most often it's the parents. The parents get it. The kids are on their own. That's pretty much every Disney story in the history of mankind. Uh, what else? Larry on Twitter is uh, pointing out that in the first hour of the show, we basically uh, took care of a lot of uh, checks and boxes uh, uh, on on the show itself. Uh, what other boxes do we need to check? What other things do we need to blow out, guys? I, are, what are you, are you watching? Binge watching anything? Like you know, what can we talk about here? What myths, truths can we uh, can we uncover? Uh, binge watching. So, uh, my wife, I just got her into this show. It's a little older, uh, Silicon Valley from HBO. Oh yeah. Great show. Uh, she loves that. So we've been watching that a lot. Um, that's about it for me. It's about my life. Go home, watch, uh, watch TV, watch the kids. I watched, uh, Kim and never seen Lord of the Rings. So we watched that what? this weekend. I know almost 40 years old had never seen it. Finally got her into it. I haven't seen it either. Oh, Steven, yeah. it's great. Even if you're not into that fantasy mumbo jumbo, man, it's a great movie. Go check it out, man. You need to. You need to do that one. Then you can. You'll recognize all the shows that got ripped off from it. What all the other it? movies. That what was that came movie that uh, you were mentioning the other day, John, with Julia Roberts and um, Clooney? That was bad. Oh. My wife was talking about that. She chose that movie for her kids to watch in her class, and I go, "Should have listened to the show." John said that movie's <laughs> terrible. Um, it, it, it's it's um. Oh gosh, it's a it's the throwback daughter's wedding ticket to paradise. Yeah. Ticket to paradise. Yeah, I said. What oh. is she doing watching that in a in a classroom? I don't know. She said they had some. I don't know. They do some weird things at Central Catholic. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they're just but doing it, things. You know, it, look, it, other people gave it good reviews. I saw Rolling Stone gave it a good review. It said it was it was a it was a throwback. But but to me, look, um, you, if you want to see Julia Roberts. And uh, George Clooney in a movie, like, you know, there are better Julia Roberts movies and there's better George Clooney movies. So Ticket to Paradise, is a, to me, was a bomb. That's what I told her. I said, Kinzano hates it. You should have listened to the show. This is what, you, this is what happens when you Did she listen. end up saying she hated it? Uh, I don't know that they watched it yet. I think she just chose. Yeah. They get to watch. There's two different movies she got chose, and uh, that was one of them. Man, I, I have so many other good movies that she could be watching. Yeah, I think know? there was just like a list of them. So I don't know what else was on the list. Um, yeah, we'll there are so many good movies that are out there that you you know that you could watch right now. You don't need to, you don't need to lower the, uh, you don't need to drop your standards. Everyone's thoughts of my wife as a teacher has just gone down now because of this. You know the the Top Gun movie is not a bad. Oh, pick. that was the other movie. That's it, it okay. Top that's Gun acceptable. Matter, yes. Okay, that's acceptable. The other movie that I think is sneaky good is the unbearable weight of massive talent with Nick Cage. Loved it. Yeah, it's just different, right? He's playing Nick Cage, washed-up actor, who's struggling with his own sort of relevance in the movie. Super creative, and it it couldn't have been done with any actor except for Nicolas Cage. It's 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 so fun. And I'm not a huge Nicolas Cage fan, yeah. but I, I I actually liked him playing Nicolas Cage better than I like him playing you know some <laughs> other other characters. So. Uh, you know, and he's not in every movie. Stop that now. Everybody's, you know, basically saying, but look, this, 
like the story is that you know in real life he blew through like 150 million dollars and he owed the IRS a bunch of property taxes and he was just taking any role that he could get and so this movie is kind of rooted in the idea that he's washed up and you know he's str- he's struggling as a dad and, and it was creative it was like it had a lot of different twists and turns i liked it how easy would it be to blow through 150 million dollars probably pretty easy i could do it i could I do think it i could do it too Brewster's Million. They made a movie about it. <laughs> Rich, Richard Pryor. You know, that was good. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once is really good, but I don't know that you could show that in a classroom. Uh, that one's really good. Uh, what else is good that's out there right now? Um, I'm trying to think. The uh, movies that I have seen. Uh, the uh, You know, I mentioned The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. That's the Nick Cage movie. You're going to message me later. You're going to want to know what it is. Um, the movie that... Uh, I thought was kind of interesting was uh, Hustle with uh, Adam Sandler. Did you guys, did you think Hustle with Adam Sandler? I didn't catch that one. I saw that one. I did not like it. I thought it was. You're a basketball guy. Did it not, was it not real enough? I didn't think it was real enough. Yeah. I thought it was was just like a movie that they put a lot of cameos in, a lot of NBA players. And so everyone thought it was cool, but I thought it was a very unrealistic story. And so I didn't like it. It held my attention. I'll just say that. I'm not going to say it's the greatest movie that I've seen lately, but it held my attention. Um, the other movie that uh, we saw recently, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it. See, and this is not going to be any help to anybody, but it, it's uh, they were in Amsterdam. Um, it's It's oh, got Taylor oh, Swift oh, in oh, it. Oh. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I've seen the preview like 20 times in the theater. Okay, so it's actually called Amsterdam. Oh, <laughs> so, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's ringing a bell. Um Taylor Swift is in the movie, and uh, it it's a, it's a kind of a cool, quirky story. It's got a great cast, you know, and Christian Bale's a producer in this movie. But, uh, you know, um, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. If you're a Taylor Swift fan, go see it. And if you're not a Taylor Swift fan, go see it. Well, speaking of Taylor Swift, <laughs> enjoy it. are your daughters, are they into the new Taylor Swift album? Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, not the young ones, they're not. I think Peter uh, is over there. Peter's yeah. into it? No, Peter, Kim Peter's rocking it. it right now? Oh, I, I'm not going to knock anyone for being into that kind of music, <laughs> but uh, it's not for me. She's. I mean, she's not She's not without talent, is yeah. she? No, not at all. She's very talented. It's just not yeah. my style. But Kim likes it. All right. All right, coming up, Elise Woodward, ESPN, Pac-12 Networks. We're going to talk about the football games coming up this weekend. Uh, she's got a special perspective. Uh, she is a sideline reporter on the Washington radio and TV broadcast. She'll join us coming up. Back to the bald Face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we got to talk about Washington and Oregon. Saturday, Autzen Stadium, big rivalry game. Here to talk about it, Elise Woodward, uh, Pac-12 Network, ESPN, does some radio up in the Seattle area, joining us now. Hey, how are you? Good, John. What's happening? Not a whole lot. I was at the Oregon State-Washington game, and I happened to hear you. Were you doing sideline reporting, or what were you doing for that game? I was. Yep, I uh, was doing sideline reporter for. Uh, I'm the sideline reporter for the Washington Huskies. So, okay, uh, I've been doing this for a long time, John. I've seen a lot of Oregon Washington games. <laughs> yes, you have. All right, so, t- first of all, tell tell our listeners what it was like on the field last Friday night at Husky Stadium because I was down there in the pregame and I almost blew into the uh, into the waters out there. 
Um, it, it was bad. It was definitely the worst weather game of the year. We've been so lucky. We have not got rained on one time this season, knock on wood. And I don't think we're going to see rain on Saturday. So for me, that's been brilliant because I don't like sitting down there in the rain. But um, in terms of the wind, it, it was pretty fierce for Washington, uh, for Husky Stadium. But it wasn't anything that we haven't seen in the past. Um, the tricky part for the kicking game and for the passing game is that when it comes off the lake, you can feel it down on that end and it, and it is more fierce and when you get to the other end of the field the wind turns directions it swirls it is a bizarre thing for opponents to go in there and try to predict i think that's one of the reasons why jonathan smith went for it two times on fourth down didn't get it but i I, it's really difficult to for a kicker in those elements when the wind is swirling yeah i think uh it was a it was a fun game it was a good pac-12 game washington obviously uh, getting itself back on track this season. Michael Penix Jr., Kalen DeBoer, a lot of fun. What are you seeing in this team? When Washington's at its best, Elise, what, what's going right? What's going well? You know, it's so funny, John, because it's the total opposite from last year. And obviously last year they struggled. They were only 4-8. and eight. But this team was supposed to have a really good offensive line last year. They were picked by many to be the best line in the Pac-12. And then they just struggled. And a lot of it was scheme, and a lot of it was their offense and what John Donovan was asking them to do. The offensive line has been really good this year, and it's played a part, obviously, with how well Michael Penix has played. Michael Penix has not been pressured much at all. Uh, He has not been flushed out of the pocket. He has not been sacked a lot. Um, And he's been given time to sit back there and pick apart defenses. And I'm telling you, Michael Penix is the best throwing quarterback that we've seen at Washington in quite some time. I mean, he makes NFL-caliber throws. I've been really impressed with him. And – I don't think a lot of people in the Pac-12 really knew about how good Michael Penix was, but if you go back and look what he did at Indiana when he was healthy, and that's in the deal, he beat Penn State, he beat Michigan, he beat Michigan State. This was at Indiana. He was second team all Big Ten despite four season-ending injuries in a row. So now that he's healthy, he's not getting hurt. He does not like to get out of the pocket and run. Um, He's versatile in the pocket. He'll step up. He'll move the pocket. He's not going to take off and go get first downs with his feet very often. Um, that's just not what he does. But he has been brilliant throwing the football. And, and when they're at their best, they're just dissecting defenses. Their wide receiving core um, has been electric at times this year, and it's pretty deep. Um, so he's got a lot of weapons at, at, at his disposal. Penix Jr. is is good. Like he, he, you know, He's a top-three quarterback in the Pac-12, and on some nights he's the best in the conference. The defense is puzzling to me because – I just is it yeah. is it just that Jimmy Lake's not there and you know these guys are learning a new system or was there some sort of widespread personnel change you know they, they haven't been good on defense. Sure. Yeah. No. And that has been look the loss at Arizona State was mind blowing because they should have won that game going away but their defense could not get a stop against a backup quarterback um, and that's one that you just shake your head and. Um, there's a couple of reasons. One, they lost two of the best cornerbacks in the nation last year. Their two starters, Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie. One was a first-round NFL draft pick. One was a second-round NFL draft pick. They're both phenomenal athletes. Those guys were early entrants to the NFL. Um, So that was – I don't think it was unexpected that they were going to leave, but they didn't recruit behind them. They just didn't have two top draft picks at their disposal. Most people don't. Um, so that, obviously they're not going to be as good on the back half of the defense as they were last year with those two losses. That coupled with they've had massive injuries in their secondary. It, it has been brutal. The only guy that's really 
been healthy throughout the season has been Alex Cook. Asa Turner, their senior safety, he's been hurt. Julius Irvin has been lost for the season, we just found out. Mish Powell, their starting corner, missed three games um, because of injury. Um, uh, and it's just been on and on and on. They have not been healthy. Now, they had the bye week, and they were better against Oregon State. I don't think, you know, with their backup quarterback, the Beavers really tried to test them that much through the air, and, you know, obviously they didn't have success. But I think that's a significant concern as they face Bo Nix in this offense, is that their secondary has to play better than it did when they were injured. But they are healthier in the secondary now, and they also are going to get back what could be their best linebacker in Eddie Ufoshio. Um And that could be a massive help for the defense that has struggled at times. Elise Woodward with us, Pac-12 Network, ESPN, also a uh, sideline reporter for Washington Football Broadcast. What would beating Oregon at Autzen Stadium mean for Kalen DeBoer at this point of his of his tenure at Washington? You know, I think it obviously would be big. One, Oregon is undefeated in the Pac-12. Two, we all know the bitter rivalry, and um, it's interesting that it's two first-year coaches that are trying to learn <laughs> the lay of the land, and it's like, wait, Wazoo, we don't hate Wazoo as much as we hate Oregon, and I'm sure that, you know, Landing is during, wait, we hate the Huskies more than the Beavers? What? Like, what's going on? So you got two first-year coaches that are trying to get a feel for the bitterness of this rivalry. And so it doesn't matter if you're first-year, 10-year, 20-year. This is a rivalry game, and the two fan bases detest each other. And so either side, it's a huge win, but especially because there's so much on the line. If he knocks off Oregon and they're undefeated in the Pac-12 and he keeps them, you know, they're obviously looking to, you know, make the playoffs, that would be a huge victory for them. And they're, Washington's playing for a lot as well at, um, you know, they, they're trying to get to a better bowl and beating Oregon State when they were ranked. That was big for them. So they're 7-2. They're and two. So, you know, they're trying to get to a 10-win season and, you know, chance at 11 with a bowl. So this is a big game for them as well. So um, it's going to be fun. Uh, two ranked teams going at it at Austin Stadium. And uh, it's been a minute. It's been a while since the Huskies have been down there. Yeah, it feels it's going to be fun. And I think it's it obviously got a big game and, uh, you know, the Pac-12 in general, at least, as you look at, you know, UCLA, USC potentially leaving the conference, how did that go over in your world? How much talk about that is around the Washington program? I know Oregon and Washington kind of have been uh, reportedly walking in lockstep and exploring in lockstep. It looks like they're all going to stay put. But how big a story has that been in Seattle? Oh, I think it's been big. I, I don't think there's any question that it's kind of in the back of everybody's mind. And it's unsettling. I mean, I, I'm a Eugene kid. I don't know if you know that. I went to North Eugene High School. My brother played football at Oregon. I, my sister went to Oregon State. I'm a Northwest kid. I grew up on Pac-12 everything. Um, I, I, I bleed the Pac-12. I love it. I, I'm thrilled to work for the Pac-12 conference and get to call these games and teams that, and the rivalries that I've been covering literally since I was born. Uh, when UCLA and USC, when I heard that news, it, it was a shock. It was an utter disbelief that they would – walk away and it, it clearly is just about the money it, and so that's frustrating and in college football has changed so much and I have major concerns as a college sports fan in that if you take away the rivalries and you take away um you know the college football feel um and all of a sudden it becomes pseudo-professional then it, that's you're not as good as the pros right the reason why everybody loves college sports is because you bleed for those rivalries and the atmosphere and everything like that so College sports is at a crossroads right now, and I, I got concerns, but 
I'm hoping that the Pac-10 will stay together and whether they add SDSU or whatever the case may be. I don't care. Um, I just want college football to ha- maintain rivalries. And, I mean, can you imagine if you weren't going to play Oregon and Washington every year or Oregon State, the Apple Cup, the Civil War? The, I mean, it just it, it's mind-boggling to me, and I, I would hate to see that it ever comes to something like that. Elise Woodward is with us, uh, Pac-12 Network, ESPN, also uh, Washington sideline reporter. You talk about your history, man, with, with you know siblings and your connection to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, it's got to be fun for you to be, you know, covering things that you grew up watching. Oh, God, I, I love it. It's an absolute thrill for me. I mean, I, I was a kid that I was at Matt Court, I mean, running around watching Don Munson. I got, I got the Don Munson came in and um, – you know, talked with him one day just about, I'm going to watch you on the sidelines. Like, you know, Rich Brooks was the guy when I was a kid growing up, you know, going to Austin Stadium and seeing all that. And I remember the teams coming in. And I just, I love Pac-12, and I chose to stay. And I played basketball at Washington. I wanted to stay in the Pac-12. And um, and so I came up here to Seattle to go to UW. Um, but I love it. I love everything about it. I understand the history and the tradition. I understand just what it means to each school, to each community. Um, and, you know, this week I, I get a lot of grief, a lot of grief from my friends, but a lot of them still, you know, live in Eugene and um, a lot of Duck fans are my friends growing up there. I still keep in touch with a lot of them. So, and of course my brother, uh, he likes to send me all kinds of um, anecdotes this week. So, uh, <laughs> so far so good though. I haven't got a lot of grief yet, John. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I, I feel like Washington has already had a successful season. And in a lot of ways, I think Oregon State is kind of flirting with, hey, we've had a successful season. But I don't think it's necessary for Washington to win this game. But I think if Oregon loses this game, I think people are going to look back and go, hey, it was a really nice season. But uh, it, what is Washington playing for in your mind in this game? Um, I mean, I still think there's that outside chance they haven't been eliminated of playing in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, So there's that. I think that each and every win at this point, you're just increasing the level of bowl game that you get to go to. Um, Right now, they're slated to go to the Sun Bowl. It's the one bowl that UW has not been to in the last 20 years. They've been to every other bowl. It's been rather odd how they've and every bowl they've been to the Las Vegas Bowl a couple of times. Other than that, they haven't really doubled up on any bowls, which has been interesting. Um, but, you know, for them, it's just about having the best season possible, getting to double-digit wins. The Kalen DeBoer era, getting it off to a, a great start. Um, and as you mentioned, this rivalry game, it, it means so much just in its own. Um, certainly it's not one of those things where, oh, you for either one of these teams, they have much bigger aspirations than just beating Washington or just beating Oregon. There's a lot more on the line. So, you know, for them, it's a chance to knock off Oregon. It's a top 10 team right now and do it in, you know, really difficult place to play. that will be packed and screaming and ornery and, and, you know, just ready to beat the Huskies into the ground. So they're going to have to be prepared to do that. And, you know, there's nothing better than going on into a a road stadium and quieting the crowd. And and that's going to be their challenge. At least tell me this: If Washington wins this game, what do they absolutely have to do? Uh, you know, it, meaning, you know, what one thing does Washington absolutely have to do to be in this game? 
Well, I think that their strength, and they have to rely on that strength, is they have to be able to move the football. They're going to have to put points on the board. They're going to have to outscore Oregon, which has such an electric offense. And it's a tall task because Oregon has been absolutely cruising over the last eight weeks. So that's the reason why Oregon is a heavy favorite, because Washington's defense has not slowed anybody. They haven't stopped anybody to win games. They did better against Oregon State. They trended better against Cal. They're trending better now that they're healthy. But this is a huge test for them against, you know, one of the best offenses, certainly the Pac-12, and to go into their home arena. They have to be able to move the ball, to keep drives alive on third down. Um, And they've proven they can do that. Uh, They've proven they can do that. It's not a stretch. Um, And then their defense just has to be good enough to, you know, give the offense a chance to go and win the game. What's your pick? Are you making a pick on this game? Do you do picks on this game, or do you like to just you know, see it unfold? I mean, I, shoot. I mean, it's, I mean, if you're just talking about on paper, Oregon's a heavy favorite, it'd be silly to say, oh, you know. I mean, if I knew picks, if I like, I like to talk about things as, as they happen. Yeah. Predicting is, you know, I mean, everybody, you just look like a fool if you predict games. But Oregon's a, a favorite, you know, the only way that Washington, I think, is, you know, going to have a chance to pull up this upset is that uh, if Oregon's tight and they're playing not to lose and Washington can go in there and play free um, and try to pull the upset off. Um, and, you know, we'll see. Um, but, you know, in terms of making a prediction, nah, I mean, shoot, I'm not that good. <laughs> it doesn't mean nothing, right? It's just throwing out a guess. I will see you at the stadium. I appreciate you joining us and uh, have, you know, you're having a lot, you look like you're having a lot of fun covering these games and keep, keep it up, please. God, yeah. I, I love it, and keep keep your nose to the grindstone on the uh, on the whole Pac-12, Big Ten. I mean, I, I read it religiously because uh, you know all of us. It's such a big deal, and I feel like you've been on top of it like none other. So I personally appreciate that. So thanks well, thank for you. We'll see you on Saturday, John. I oh, appreciate yeah. you. All right, appreciate that. Elise Woodward, there she is, Pac-12 Network, ESPN sideline reporter for Washington Football. Um, I, I think if the Ducks. You know, barring a three or four turnover game, which could happen, I think Oregon runs away with the game. And I think there's a chance Oregon really runs away with the game. I just think there's a big separation between the top two or three teams in the conference and then those teams in the middle tier. And I'm going to put Washington in that middle tier. I'm going to put Oregon State in that middle tier. There's really two teams living in the, you know, let's call it zone two. Uh, zone one, if we're, if we're boarding a plane and they go zone A, you can board the plane now. It's Oregon, it's USC, it's UCLA, and hell, I'm going to let Utah get on the plane because Utah is the defending champion, and they have shown uh, that they have a puncher's chance in any given game. After that, I'm going zone B. It's Washington and it's Oregon State. Then there's a gap after that to zone C, and that's what we're talking about. I think Washington's a zone B team, and I think there's a gap between the A's and the B's. So I think of Oregon playing, if this game were at Husky Stadium and it were last Friday night with the wind howling, talk about fortune, I think it would be a very different game. I think it could be, that could be Washington's game against Oregon. Who knows? But at Autzen Stadium, on what should be a game played in the mid to high 40s, partly cloudy with some sunshine, Bo Nix and the Ducks, I, I think they're going to put up a bunch of points against Washington. Leave it here. Anna's popping into the studio, plus the 5 at 5 coming up.
You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Five at five coming up top of the hour. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, will be joining us. Anna has popped into the studio. She went to the dentist today. She had a very different experience than I had at the dentist today. As I went in and the dental assistant peppered me with questions. Where do you live? How long have you lived here? How many kids do you have? Are you married? How much does a human head weigh? I don't know. I just uh, <laughs> I got peppered and I finally, I was being intentionally vague. Felt like I was in a massage or in an Uber where the professional involved was not respecting that I just kind of wanted a quiet experience. And it was in the morning time. Yeah. So I very politely told her, hey, I'm not real comfortable with all the questioning. You yeah. know, let's not do this small talk. Uh huh. Yeah. You went in later. You yeah. encountered the same. Same. Professional. Same professional. <laughs> Guess what she said to me right off the bat. Steven, you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. Steven's ready. She yeah. said, oh. Uh, well, are you okay with, uh, well, we first began with some chat about the weather, you know. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Ask me about the weather. Yeah. Beautiful day outside. Don't ask me, like, what size pants I'm wearing. I don't, that's personal information, okay? I, I don't think you knew that, like, this was our first appointment with a new dentist, so it's mm-hmm. literally called, like, the get to know ya appointment. But I don't need to give, like, what does that have to do with my dental care? Well, the, the, how many kids do I have? Where do I live? How long have I lived here? Those like, aren't abnormal questions to ask somebody when you're meeting them. I think it's kind of rude. Oh, my gosh. And so before she launched into any of those kind of questions mm-hmm. with me, I, I hear I was hoping, like, I, you, didn't tell me, you didn't tell me the name <laughs> of the assistant. I knew I had an appointment the same day to go in and have the same kind of get-to-know-you thing, and I was just praying, dear God, Please don't be the same assistant. Lo and behold, yeah. we're like two minutes in, and she says, um, is it okay if I just kind of ask you some questions to get to know you? Because I don't think your husband was comfortable <laughs> with any of, like, with me yeah. asking those kind of questions. And I said, ask away. Let me ask you about oh, you. No. Where are you from? That's so wrong. No, no. I said, well, That's you know, so wrong. he can, He's he a can private person. be a selectively private person. Here's the He's thing that I don't understand. Person. And here's the thing that I don't understand. <laughs> you host a radio show. Very private. You, <laughs> you talk extensively about our children where you're from anybody who's listened to this show for any length of time knows roughly where you grew up uh a lot about your background that's but it's our parenting philosophies you could argue that you share more personal information on this show over the course of how many years you've been doing it than than what you would ever disclose to a dental assistant in a 15 minute Appointment. Well, but, she wants to know. She should listen to the show then. <laughs> you're damn oh, right, Stephen. I should have told her. Helping Tune her. in three to six p.m. You want to know about me? Yeah. Oh my gosh. What does that have to do with my dental care? What? <laughs> Why? Why? Why do I have to tell somebody where I live or how long <laughs> I live there or if I'm married, kids, whatever? You know? Yeah. Was she trying to date me or is she just oh trying to build rapport? Gosh. What's going on here? 
Well, presumably this is somebody that we're going to see semi-regularly, you know. Twice like a twice year. Twice a year. Twice a year. That's not regularly. <laughs> <laughs> see her as often as I, I, I might as well go into the grocery store and tell the clerk, hey, I wear, this is the size pants I wear. Uh, oh by the way, gosh, I'm an 11 and a half not, on my, I wear an 11 and a half shoe. That's not the same. You know? Boxer briefs. You know, oh, what, what do I have to share? Such a grump. <laughs> the five at five is next. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I'm still kind of fuming over the idea that I have to share some personal information <laughs> with a uh, medical professional. What does that have to do with my dental care? That the uh, dental assistant wants to know where I live and how long I've lived there. What's wrong with just answering some basic get-to-know-me you know type questions? You know what I'm going to do next time? I'm gonna... I found out, conversely, that you know she grew up in Clackamas and Milwaukee and what high school she went to. and now How does this know? help you? It's just human interaction. This uh, gives you some kind of uh, leg up on the appointment. You know somebody now at the dental office? I do too, the receptionist. What's wrong Said with I to her. She was pleasant. <laughs> she didn't ask me any personal the questions. The people that are sticking like sharp instruments in your mouth. I don't mind knowing a little about them. I don't understand how that benefits <laughs> her or me. But here's what I decided. When, next time I go in, I'm going to be an open book, but I'm going to make up a whole story. Of course you I'm are. I'm in the kung fu industry. Oh, my God. The kung fu yeah. industry? Yeah. In, I'm into kung fu. I'm, an, I'm a martial artist. What is wrong with you? Know, you know, I'm a lumberjack. Oh, my God. I'm an actor. I'm a thespian. Okay? I don't know what my story's going to be. I'm going to make it up on the spot. I'm you a barista. Do you. you do you, John. All right. You do you. She's going to say, where do you live? I'm yeah. going to say Istanbul. You know, the you know? irony is that I went in today and I felt a tremendous <laughs> responsibility to be overly nice to these people because yeah. I don't know what you sounded like uh -uh. when you talked to these people. Okay. okay. So I'm like, half of the Kanzano equation has to be pleasant to balance this out. No, no, it's no, going to no, be no. fun the next time, though, Anna, because John's going to have this whole story, and then the, they're going to come back and tell you what he said, and then you have to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're from uh, Croatia? What? I am, uh, Years as a lumberjack. I am Phenomenal lumberjack. Here's my deal, though. So what are you guys uh, doing the Kung Fu business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. That she won't mess with me. I'll tell you that. Oh. I just don't. I, I get building rapport, but here's what I did. I I I walked in. The receptionist, nice lady. Yeah. Really nice, pleasant lady. Agreed. I was cordial to yeah. her. We had a nice, yeah. pleasant. I'm here for my appointment. Yeah. Blah blah she blah. She was a little stern prior to the appointment because we didn't get the documents. Right, in it in doesn't time. matter. I had a pleasant experience with her. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Then came dental assistant. Yeah. Who came out to get me? Yeah. John, are you here? I was the only person sitting there. Yes, I'm here. Okay. She knows my name. Yeah. She's got my medical history. She has everything that you know we filled out prior to the appointment. She's got enough data on me. Okay. So, as I'm heading back there. I'm just trying to I'm trying to get through this appointment as fast as we can. Nobody wants to spend any more time than they have to at the dental office. I understand the dental office. They want to create rapport. Why? Because they want you to come back. They want you to refer your friends, you know. Yeah, it's customer so, service. Okay, but I I uh 
I entertained her questions, her line of questioning at the beginning. <laughs> the interrogation started. It was, you know, how's your day going? That's fine. It's good. What are you doing today? What do you do for work? Oh, you're in, I said I'm in sports. What What do you do in sports? Uh, I'm I host a radio show. I write a sports column. Okay, that's good. What you know? And I was just vague, intentionally vague. Okay, and then where do you live? Nearby. That's what I said. And Stephen, who has driven Uber, told me Why that say it like that. Told me at that point. Do you hear anyone else say it like that, Stephen? Uber, <laughs> an Uber. That's how you pronounce it. Okay. That's how you pronounce it in the kung fu business. That's right, <laughs> Stephen. Let's just say, Peter, you're a masseuse, okay? Let's just let's just say you're a masseuse. I'm coming in for an appointment. You ask me where I'm from. I say nearby, and then you say, how long have you lived here? I said a while. You're not going to be talking to me while you're massaging my lats and my calves. You're going to leave me alone because you're going to pick up that I'm not here for chit-chat. Yeah, the first question, I'm going to follow up. It's part of the job. I'm sure my company has protocol. i got to make some. But that second one is the key that's the one that's the social cue to be like all right this guy is not here to chit chat he wants and by the way if i can just throw in instead of making up a story next time you go to the dentist six months from now (laughs) can i recommend instead of that remember when you were a kid everyone knows that kid you know you're in the second grade and he's obsessed with dinosaurs or obsessed (laughs) with trains I i want you to pick something like try to work like fonzie into every conversation mm. or something like that and just be really really into one single thing mm-hmm. and just steer the conversation that way yeah. i uh, i'm into the renaissance period of uh of battles i reenact <laughs> battles with my friends on the weekends at parks would you like to come to the next battle you look like you could be great with a joust in your hand like <laughs> my photographer yeah. and i used to do that when we were out covering stories and you know, you'd be really, you'd have to really kind of concentrate on the story that you were doing, but you're often in public, on a public street, and people would inevitably come up and be like, hey, what are you doing? What are you covering? And uh, I learned pretty quickly from photographers, actually, that they would just lie. They would say, oh, we're just doing a story about a tax levy. Like, they would just make up yeah. the most boring yeah. story Because you don't want to have a big conversation about it. Because they're trying to close that conversation as quickly as they and, could. And here's the thing. Like, I I was not mean to her. I hope you were not. Because when she – I shut her down. When she asked, am I married? And, and then I didn't even answer. And she said, do you have kids? And I looked at her and I just said, I'm not really comfortable – telling you all this stuff i i it's not personal i i like you and i'm sorry i'm just not into having this conversation like it's just filling we're just filling time here like this is like like just let's do the x-rays let's let's pronto come on let's pep it up here and then the dentist came in and the dentist said to me he didn't know me you know he says he's meet me for the first time yeah. I fist bumped him. Okay. Did, yeah. you, did you shake his hand? No, but I know all about his childhood okay. now, too. I, I don't. How does that serve you? <laughs> it doesn't mean it does no good. But here's what I said to him. Okay. And this is this is me being like a carnival psychic. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he comes in. He kn- My chart is up on the screen. Okay. Uh-huh. So he knows my name. Okay? okay. So if he's a diehard sports fan in the state of Oregon, it's a fair chance he's going to know me. Anyway, oh, no, he's just going to know. He's going to be like, oh, you're the sports guy. That's okay. that. Ha- okay. Right. Okay. But he didn't. So 
he came in and he said, hey, how are you? And before he could start, I started interrogating him. I said, let me guess. I said, you grew up, you're not a diehard sports fan. He said, you're right. And I said, but you're into sports, because he looked like he was young enough to kind of be. I said, you're into soccer? And he said, I am into soccer. And I said, maybe what else? And he said, UFC. And I said, there you go. But I said, not a, not a mainstream sports fan. He said, no, I'm not. And I said, okay. So it, it diffused the whole thing. I had to answer no questions. I'm just going to go on attack next time I go in there. I'm going to be like, go. where do you live? That's your strategy. What size shoe do you wear? Yeah. What's your favorite food? Yeah, you figured Paper it out. Paper or plastic? Yeah. Mountains or uh, beach? Yeah. You Where's your favorite what, vacation place? Anna has a point, though, that it can pay off to know what these people do and what their backgrounds because they are fixing your teeth and stuff, <laughs> right? So, like, if you hear something like someone in their, you know, childhood that they didn't like or, you know, something they growing up, you know, maybe you don't want them to do that. I only have one question for any medical professional who is doing any kind of procedure <laughs> on me any day. I don't care if it's a colonoscopy or a dental appointment or a surgery. Yeah, I just want to know. Is. I just want to know, did you get a good night of sleep? <laughs> or maybe as a secondary question, is everything good in your life? That's it. That's the only thing that's relevant. I want to know your state I don't of want, mind. I don't want the dentist to have had an argument with his wife right before he came in to work on my teeth. Uh-huh. I thought you, you were going to say, did you wash your hands? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I remember I, when I had my knee surgeries. Oh, yeah. The surgeon, who, yeah. I, who I love, he's a great surgeon, Kevin Murphy. Terrific surgeon. Fantastic. He's, he's the best knee surgeon. Yeah. Shakes hands very yeah. delicately. I only said to him right before he was, you know, putting me out for the procedure, I said, everything going on good in your life? Good relationships? You know, you get a good night's sleep? He said, yes, yes. I said, good enough. Let's go. Let's do this. Get the scalpel out. Well, I remember his last name's Murphy, and we were, you were having the procedure around St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> so we were kind of wondering, was he going to go out on, like, a holiday bender right before he no, cut you open? he's you not know? his style. Yeah. Not his style. He's a great surgeon. Uh, all right, so we've established next time I'm going in there. Yeah, I am you're going to be on the offensive. I'm a marine biologist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm an architect. <laughs> in fact, I designed this building that you're in right now. Oh my god, dental building. All it's right, so stressful. Every every day we do the five at five. Let's do it. The five at five. <sighs> I digress. The Nets have done it. They've made a hire. They have hired Jock Vaughn as their new head coach. They they passed on the drama that is Ime Udoka, and they decided to just promote Jock Vaughn from interim coach to permanent coach for the season. ESPN reporting it. The Nets just decided they had too much drama with Kyrie Irving. The disruption that would have come with hiring Udoka in the aftermath of his suspension in Boston would just be too much for the Nets. Brooklyn Nets just decided, hey, let's just stay. Let's just, we don't have the trouble, man. I don't have the time for this. And they decided to promote Jock Vaughn. We'll see how that works out. Anna, number two. Well, looks like uh, Jay-Z and Jeff Bezos are getting cozy. Hmm. You're talking about maybe buying the Washington Commanders. Well, let's see. Monday night, the two grabbed dinner in L.A. for a couple hours. They hit up a place called Horses. Hmm near the Sunset Strip, and this is just a couple days after it was revealed they both had a mutual interest in putting in a bid for Daniel Snyder's Commanders. Now, that restaurant was so closed So they're going to partner Monday. on this deal? Sounds like it, yeah. Old uh, Lauren Sanchez, Bezos's uh, girlfriend, girlfriend, right? They're, you know, she was along for the ride. And, uh, yeah, this is pretty interesting that uh, Bezos and Jay-Z seem to be teaming up for the... Potentially more than seven billion dollars. You need a couple billionaires in the mix there to make that uh, 
make that purchase happen, huh? Number three in our five at five. Let's talk about the other head coach, the uh, Ted Lasso uh, impersonation that is going on in the NFL. Jeff Saturday, who has no NFL coaching experience. In fact, his only head coaching experience is of a high school football team in Georgia. Uh, he uh, took over the Colts and took place uh, took his place in front of his new team for the first time today. Um, he uh, bounced around the building and conducted a team meeting. And uh, he said, look, uh, you know, uh, this is the elephant in the room. He addressed it with team. He addressed it with the players. He said, uh, look, it comes with the territory. I've been in this league a long time. I know that you can sniff out the BS. Players said they liked it. It was refreshing. And he was candid. Keep an eye on this. I think Jim Irsay is doing a smart thing here. You know, a lot of, a lot of NFL owners – Pro franchise owners will hire a consultant to come in and say, hey, here's what's wrong, here's what's right, here's what I would do. Jeff Saturday is a player that Jim Irsay trusts. I essentially view him as a consultant in this equation. Number four, Anna, go. Really curious about what Adidas is planning to do with its Yeezy designs, and it turns out they're going to live on at Adidas, but... They'll have a completely different title when they drop. They announced today that the company plans to continue selling more of these shoes as early as next year, but they just won't have a trace of the Yeezy name. So the company is emphasizing to their shareholders that they remain the sole owner of the core designs, including the shoe silhouettes and the colorways. No idea what colorways are. Uh, and so they feel like they have the right to keep hawking them. No, well, this is going to be interesting to see what happens. Do they own the brand or does he own the brand? It's his shoe, isn't it? Yeah, they're explicitly saying that the shoe designs belong to them. And yeah. Kanye hasn't said anything publicly yet yeah, about this. Kanye will figure it out eventually and he'll say, I want to design my own. Uh, finally, the fifth thing in the five at five, let's talk about WNBA star Brittany Griner. Well, the U.S. midterm elections are over. And President Joe Biden says he hopes that that means Russian President Vladimir Putin would be more willing to negotiate the release of Griner. Now, people who don't know, Griner is in the process of being transferred to a Russian penal colony, but her lawyers don't know where she is or where she's heading. Her transfer began on Friday, a day after the U.S. Embassy officials visited her, far ahead of the schedule they had anticipated. Her appeal was denied on October 25th. Uh, the transfer usually takes weeks or months. Uh, these uh, penal colonies are known for having harsh conditions, much harsher than the Moscow jail where she was detained since February. Um, the, uh, the attorneys involved here are all saying they are doing everything they can. And keep in mind, Brittany Griner pleaded guilty to drug smuggling charges in July. The U.S. officials declared that she was being wrongfully detained. They called her trial of political theater. Uh, but an appeals court in Russia has upheld her conviction, and uh, she is facing nine years in this penal colony. She was arrested February 17th in Moscow while trying to enter Russia to join her team. That is the five at five. Is Brittany Griner coming home before nine years? I don't think so. I think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna let her go early. Oh uh, gosh, I hope. I hope so. Nine do, years. Do you? You should. If you're a basketball player. Would you go play in Russia? No. Stephen, would you play? Peter, would you go? Would you go to Russia to do anything right now? No. No. Stay out of Russia. 
And if you're going into Russia, if you say, this is what I have to do, I have to go there to make money, don't bring anything, any paraphernalia, nothing, vaping, not, you got nothing. Yeah. You have to play that straight if you're Brittany Griner. You have to. I know. It's unfortunate. And, and for people who say she's wrongfully detained, I mean, she broke Russian law. She's not technically wrongfully detained. It's it's incredibly harsh penalty for what she had, was apparently smuggling. True, but, I mean, let's be real. She's totally being used as a political pawn yeah. in, in this situation. But you had to know that. Like, you know, there was a war going on. There was tension between the countries. I mean, uh, it's it's. I want her home just like everybody else. But I'm also going, Brittany, what were you thinking? Why were you there? What were you doing? Yeah, I just don't know enough about the status of, like, geopolitical relations where, you know, can Russia and the U.S. negotiate some kind? Don't we have somebody? Oh, yeah, I'm that sure they we want do. Back? Like, can't there be some kind of prisoner exchange? Like, what are the Ooh. stakes involved in terms of, you know, trading out so that she could at least come back on U.S. soil? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell that dental assistant I am a Russian spy. Yeah. That okay. would be a good way to get out of answering more questions. Mm-hmm. You're the yeah. guy that uh, America proposes trades with. You're yeah. America's GM. I'm about to, uh, yeah, there you go. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. All right, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, coming up bottom of the hour. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, will be coming up top of the hour. He will be with us to talk about their football game. They got Cal this weekend, uh, Oregon State hosting Cal at Reeser Stadium. Uh, the Ducks will be hosting Washington at Autzen Stadium. Uh, the Blazers continue. Uh, I mean, look, guys, we said earlier, I said earlier, I would give them 20, 25 games before I will believe that this is real. Um are you leaning towards this being real, or are you uh, are you you know are we in a true wait and see with the Blazers, or are you looking at a team that's seven and three to start the season, going you know what uh, they they look every bit like a top six team in the West? Yeah, it's still a wait and see for me, but I will say it's a lot different than what we thought it would be, especially you and me, John. Like, is they're better than I thought they would be. And I think they're going to continue this. You know, the, the big question for me was coming in is can Chauncey Billups actually coach? Because we didn't see it. I think that question has been answered. I think you think did. already that's been answered in yeah, ten games. Yeah, I do. I think he's done a lot of things that uh, has changed the just the way the Blazers play and their mentality and the whole culture of how the Blazers played now from a couple years ago to now. And I think it's sustainable what he's doing. So I think they got the coach right, and I think that's one of the first steps. Peter, do you give? Do you agree with that, or do you think Joe Cronin just got players that are playing a different style of play? I think it's both. I was uh, pretty down on Chauncey Billups. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I had an open mind because yesterday or last year doesn't tell us anything, right? It was an absolute tank job. The preseason didn't look good, but Chauncey Billups has a style that he wants to play, and by getting Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart, guys like Justice Winslow, they do fit into that. So it's kind of a synergy between the front office and the coaching staff, which uh, we 
clearly haven't had over the last few years. I'm completely bought in. I'm not going to say this is a top, you know, five, four, anything like that yet. But this is a playoff team. They're not just seven and three. The schedule was so brutal. They could have started five and ten through their first 15. And I'd still say this is an above 500 team. So the fact that they're playing this well, I mean, it's sustainable. Injuries can derail this, of course. You know, it's too early in that regard. But they look fantastic. Yeah, they are super encouraging. Um, I Look, I, I had somebody text me today and say, look, they're only two games out of the eighth spot. Let's not get carried away. But I expected them to be like, you know, I, I if you would have told me three and seven or seven and three, I would have said three and seven at this point. I would have said, okay, I would much, I would, I would bet that they would underachieve versus overachieve. But I'm, I'm still waiting. I, I need to see another ten to fifteen games before I totally buy in on the Blazers. I think it, in a college football season, we need to see five or six games before we know. Yeah, this is like the Ducks losing to Georgia after week one, and then everyone's saying, well, this season's over. Well, no, yeah. they can still make the college football playoff. But to Peter's point, how tough the schedule has been, John, the Blazers, uh, they were favored today over the Hornets. It's only the second game all season they've been favored, and their record is what it is. Like, they have beaten some really good teams. I think that's an encouraging sign uh, just for how well they've started this season. I'm eager to see what they do with the season. I'm also eager to talk to Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach. He is coming up. Uh, We will also, uh, before I go to break, talk a little bit about baseball. report coming out of Vegas says that the A's are looking at a, a stadium in Oakland or a stadium in Vegas. No mention in the story of Portland. Is the door closed on this cycle for the A's? That's what people are asking me today. I think it is for the A's on this cycle. I I think that the sooner the A's and the Rays can get settled, it's good for Portland. But I don't think head-to-head right now, Portland can out-duel Vegas for a baseball team. I don't think we can build a stadium faster than them. I don't think we have the political will. I don't think it mattered who got elected. I think it was it's just kind of the state of things in Oregon. Like It has to be a no-brainer for us. Uh, for for people to get involved, I still believe that the Portland Diamond Project can can continue to have momentum. I think it's really disappointing what happened with the Timbers management and ownership with Merritt Paulson and the whole management group, and you know, like really disappointing because I felt like the success of the Timbers and the success of the Thorns kind of like gave momentum to baseball, gave per, potentially positioned Merritt Paulson as the future owner of the Blazers. Now, that's all gone. Like, nobody's going to be okay with him owning the Blazers or being anywhere near any of that. So, I think it hurt baseball, it, even though people didn't talk about baseball when that Thorns and Timbers mess went down. I think it's really disappointing. I think it hurt everything, but I'm not going to blame that. I'm going to blame political will. I think Vegas has its stuff together when it comes to getting things done. Vegas will build a stadium tomorrow. We will talk about building a stadium for about a decade before we actually put a shovel in the ground. That's just the difference. That's them. That's us. We are uh, we are slow moving, uh, you know. They are they are attacking. Uh, we need to we need to change that. How much in, how much of the success of the Raiders do you think has to do with that as well? Because they had the yeah. uh, the most profit, Gold, I believe. Golden NFL. Knights too. Yeah. I mean, look look at the Golden Knights. Look at the Raiders. Vegas is emerging as this sports market, and it's why, like, for people looking at Pac-12 expansion, it's San Diego State, and maybe it's SMU, maybe it's Vegas, maybe it's UNLV, just because they will do some stuff in Vegas that they won't do anywhere else, and. You know, the Raiders' success, 100%, Stephen. Golden Knights in the NHL, 100% that that success all sort of goes, hey, man, let's draft on that. We don't have that in Portland. We need that. We need some of that. All right, Jonathan Smith coming up, Oregon State football coach. Leave it here.
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Our next guest is the head football coach at Oregon State, Jonathan Smith. He played football there. He's coaching football there. He's joining us now. His team is at home on Saturday, Research Stadium against Cal. Big football game. It's a big one for you guys. They're all big, right? Like, you put yourself in that position. Yeah, yeah, they definitely are. And, uh, yeah, definitely excited to get back home and, and play a solid Cal team. I know they're on a little bit of a losing streak, but you watch this tape and We've had, we've had our challenges with Cal, it seems like, every year, and so it's a big game for us. Is it schematic stuff? Because, you know, Justin's a pretty good defensive guy. You guys are really good offensive staff, you know, you and uh, Lindgren. Is it schematic with Justin and that staff, or what is it? Yeah, it's always a, a battle that way. These guys are so sound on defense. Uh, obviously, we know each other well. Uh, they got some good players year in and year out on defense, and they got some I think they got some really good skill offensively. They're young. I mean, they got a young back and a big-time receiver's a freshman. And, and so there's scheme to it, but it, it definitely comes down to players and, and, and executing out on the field. Before we start talking too much about Cal, I want to talk about last week and, and Husky Stadium. And I, I told Jack Coletto yesterday, I said, I bet you guys kicked yourself when you watched film. Was that, was that a hard one to watch? Yeah, it, it was tough. There's no question that we had some opportunities that – didn't take advantage of, um, and these these games come down to a couple plays, and sometimes yeah. those couple plays might have been in the first or second quarter, uh, opportunities offensively to separate the lead, and then defensively, you know, had a couple couple issues of communication, and so that's always tough to watch the next day. The fourth and three, you don't kick the field goal, you don't try the field goal. Was it win related, or were you going for the throat right there, going, hey, 14 zip in this game would have been big. Well, yeah, some of both. Um, the wind was going to be a factor. Uh, three yards uh, down there, field position. You know, the ball's on the 15, so you do miss. You're giving them the long field, but you've got an opportunity for seven versus a potential of three or zero. There's not a lot difference between missing a field goal and not converting on fourth down. Um, so all that went into it, uh, and, and that play obviously didn't work out for us. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm looking at this Cal game. You're at Research Stadium where you guys are 9-1 and one in your last 10. You guys are tough at home. Uh, you're you're going to be a home favorite. The, the home favorites in the Pac-12 have just been ridiculously good this season. Uh, how do you feel playing a game there versus maybe being on the road, and what do you need from your fans? Yeah, we need some energy, uh, and hopefully we can get them, keep them into the game early. Um, and they've been awesome year, all year long and counting on that again. Because it is. There's more comfort level, confidence, playing at home. It's playing out in this league big time this year. Um, it, but ultimately, we we got to play play well, and our crowd helps us do that. Jonathan Smith with us, Oregon State football coach. Uh, quarterback play, Ben Gulbranson, uh, you know, he missed a couple of throws that, that could have been sevens. Um, I want to say it was wind-related. On the, on the little wheel route to the back, it looked like he was trying to throw it a little flat, a little bit through the wind. I don't know. What did you see? Yeah, it was just a mess. I mean, yeah, there the wind was around things, but let's face it, that their guy made some big-time throws. And, and yeah, there's a couple opportunities there that, you know, and, again, Ben playing quarterback, high scrutiny comes with it. But, yeah, he'd love to be able to make a couple of throws when we've got guys running, running open for touchdowns. You, you're, uh, you get a, you'll get a uh, parents' crowd, parents' weekend this weekend, you, you know, and tickets have, tickets have been tough with the crowds anyway. And that has to feel good versus when you first got there and – maybe the crowds weren't as good. Like, you you know you're going to get an atmosphere on Saturday. 
Yeah, yeah, we want to create some demand here, and obviously the stadium, yeah, we're rebuilding it and all that, but we do appreciate everybody that comes to the seats. You know, it, tickets are all sold out, but now it's continuing to show up, bring that energy. Uh, it's a fun atmosphere, and it's going to be unbelievable when this thing's done next year. But we've got a couple more at home. We want to finish this thing off right and count on our crowd to help us do that. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, look, I can't believe how loud it is in there. Like, and, and you know, I talked to your athletic department people. They swear there's no piping in sound. I believe them. Like, I, you know, I don't hear, like, piped in sound, but it's that loud. What does it feel like and sound like to you on the field? Yeah, it sounds loud, and uh, I don't think it is piped in because the way we set up those speakers now that are on the opposite side going at the crowd, you would hear it if it was piped in. So our crowd's doing an awesome job being loud and energetic. And I know our guys feed off it, too. Our student section right behind us, they're on the sideline and, and, and jumping and hollering. So it's a fun time. Jonathan Smith with us. All right, before I let you go here, um, you know, what do you need from Gulbertson? Can he take a step forward? I keep I, I said that last get last week. Like, you know, if you guys had just gotten a step forward from him, I, I want to see that growth. What are you looking for from him? Yeah, we need to uh, just in general the passing game. And again, passing the ball is not just one guy. The protection around him, obviously the route running and and finishing with catches. But we got to we got to be find some ways to balance. Had not nearly enough of it last week, and it caught up to us. Uh, we're going to be able to do that. Again, these guys are good on defense, so our defense needs to, to show up like they can and, and affect their passer or crowd into it. I can see special teams being a big part. I mean, the last two times we've played Cal, there's been a block punt that really changed the game, and so uh, special teams can be, will be a factor in this game. All right. Uh, you know, hey, tell me if I'm rude here. Okay, I went to the dentist today, and the dental assistant started asking me a bunch of questions. She's trying to build rapport. She's making small talk. I just like, you know, she's asking me, you know, how long have you lived here? What do you do for work? And I was just like, you know what? Uh, you know, w- let's not do this small talk thing. And I said, I don't want to be rude, but, you know, like I get it. You're trying to like she's trying to take x-rays while she's doing this. And then my wife goes in later, coach, and my wife's an open book. My, she's much nicer than me. Yeah. And she says the, 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 the assistant said to her, hey, your husband was not comfortable a- answering questions. And she's, you know, who's wrong? Am I wrong here? Are you where are you? What are you like in the dental chair? Do you want to be chatty and have a bunch of conversations or do you want to just hey, let's get this moving? Yeah, I definitely don't want to be chatty, especially when people are messing with my mouth and this and that. I try to be cordial, yeah. um, you know, because, you know, in your line of work, a lot of people know you and similar to me, and I mean, sometimes it's that one experience they have with yes. you. You definitely want to leave a positive, genuine right. impression. Yeah, because I don't, like, there's part of me, and I said to her, I said, I don't want to be mean. Like, I'm not trying to be rude. I, I You're a nice person. I said, I just, you know, I'm not comfortable telling you, like, where I live and, you know, how long have I lived here? And I, what are we really talking about? But my wife is like, you know, you host a radio show. You talk about it all day on radio. But, <laughs> but, but you're right. Like, you can't, like, if you go somewhere and you're, let's say you're not having a good day or you're in a bad mood or something else happens. Player does something and you're, you know, you're distracted by it. Then you have an interaction with somebody and they go, well, that Jonathan Smith, he's a jerk. Yeah, yeah I've done it plenty of time, unfortunately. But you can't, and I think all of us, come on, each of us. <laughs> I come across bad moods, bad days, yeah. um, and I think having some grace all, uh, across the board for everybody. All right, I like Good that. Day. Have some grace. I'm gonna say I'm, I'm gonna make up a story next time. I'm gonna tell her I'm I'm a lumberjack or something. You know, <laughs> have a whole identity thing going on. All right, listen. Good luck to you Saturday. I will be there. It's Parents Weekend. I'm gonna cover your game because my kid's there at school, and I'm excited to see you guys uh, at home against Cal. 
and you know set yourself up for a po- possible 10-win season still out there for you guys. Yeah, something special could, uh, is still out there. Exactly right. Same thing I'm telling our team. There's a lot to play for, and we want to finish November well. All right. Coach, good luck to you. I appreciate you. Thanks for giving us some time. Yeah, thanks, John. All right, there's Jonathan Smith. See, he gets it. He gets it. I'm sure his nice his wife is much nicer than him too. But he does raise a good point there, and I think coaches probably have to do it more than I do it. Like I think a coach like Jonathan Smith, if he's having an interaction in public, he probably has to be a little more cordial than than I would have to be. Just saying. Isn't it that in tipping? Like if you know you see those yeah. viral tips when people don't tip well. Now, and here's the other thing, like. You know what? I think anybody who's worked in a restaurant is automatically a good tipper. Like, I, I, I don't mind tipping. The only problem I have with tipping is sometimes nowadays when you go into like a restaurant or a or a you know a, a food cart where you are picking up the food, I feel weird. I feel put on the spot sometimes with the tipping. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. If it's a takeout, yeah, you yes. go get the food. What about a food cart? Because I look at that person who's working at the food cart, and I'm like. On one hand, I don't know if they own the food cart, and I'm going, I want to reward you because I see you working hard and doing your thing, but on the other hand, I'm a little conflicted with whether um, I should be tipping. Like, you're not really getting sit-down service at a food cart. Do you tip at a food cart? Yeah, I mean, you know, a buck or two. Not a lot. Not 20%? No. No. See, I, I feel like I should tip 20% because I worked in a restaurant, but then I do feel weird because I'm like, you're not really, you know, you're giving me a to-go box here. Like, you know, so are you saying I've been over-tipping at the uh, food carts? I mean, do what you want to do. I, I only tip, you know, a buck or two, and even then it's only like if it's something I really like and, yeah, I mean, the margins are so small, I'll pay a little extra just to make sure they're there next week, but otherwise yeah. you don't have to. Yeah. I, I think if you've worked in a restaurant, anytime you're in a sit-down restaurant, you automatically tip well because you go, hey, I know, I get it. There's more to this than everybody sees, and you sort of get that. But I, you know, and I also feel that way with the baristas because here's my issue with the baristas. Like, I've gone into coffee places where the barista is just fantastic. They're on it, and I'm like, I want to tip this person, but then I find out later they're pooling tips with everybody who works inside the coffee shop all week long. And there are some other people who aren't good. Why is it wrong that we can't tip an individual barista? I agree with you because some people don't deserve to get to, like tipped well, right? Like if you're not doing it. Just saying. Yeah. No, I agree. How, just saying. How, how can we get around that? Is there a way we can get around that? I think we need to just start uh, going, you know what? This tip is for you. No. I, <laughs> they have little <laughs> cubbies. Just ensure you don't get good service. All right, I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. Well, this show has been uh, fast moving. I think it's been interesting. People tweeting at me, uh, talking about uh, tipping now. Can we get to the bottom of this? Uh, I don't want to lead people wrong or right or do, uh, you know, do you tip? When do you tip? What What are the rules with tipping when it comes to food carts? When it comes to baristas, um, you know, some of them, some of the places don't allow tips, but others do. I, I just think it's awkward too. Like, you know, uh, we're, we go we go to a sushi restaurant. 
like the sushi chef, I want to tip that guy, but do, are they sharing tips with everybody who's in the restaurant? I guess they are. I guess that's their business if they want to share tips. I don't know. I could probably guess your stance on the places that put it, like put the tip for you. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. I'm look, I I want a tip. It's it's in my nature to tip. But do, you know, if because I worked in a restaurant and because I understand like hey man that's not easy work and the people who are often working in those places aren't well compensated and like Peter said I want them to be there tomorrow and I want the employees to feel like hey they're valued like part of it it's very personal to me so I want a tip but I do have a little bit of an issue with the food cart tipping because I'm like already it feels like you're paying you know over market price at the food carts. Am I wrong there? Are we paying a premium to eat at food carts? It feels like it should be, like you should be getting a deal at the carts, and I know we're not. I, I don't know, man. My The tacos I buy are a buck fifty. That's a pretty good okay. deal. Okay, that's that good. Steal, yeah. That is a steal. I got to go where you're going. Chapoyo's right down the street here. There you are. Mm. Uh, it, it. I think, I don't know. Uh, if you are somebody working in one of those establishments and you want to weigh in and tell us what that is like, 503-417-7575, uh, I could be talked out of my position, but I have tipped, uh, you know, liberally at the food carts. I just don't feel great about it when I do it. So you tell me, uh, give us a different perspective. If you're working at one of those places or if you own one of those places, tell us, uh, tell us what we should be doing, what is appropriate. Well, you know, what isn't, you know, rude? Like, you, I always find it weird. Like, you go in and you get a, you know, you get a massage. I'm not a massage person. I've probably had, like, three of them in my life. Anna's more inclined to do that. Uh, I, uh, I, I was a little surprised, though, the first time I went, and they said, would you like to tip? I hadn't even thought of that. Like, you're tipping the masseuse, but you're not tipping the dental assistant or the hygienist. Like, there's a, you know, why not? What about, like, the gas station attendant? Oh, my gosh. The first time I came to Oregon, it was December of 2002. I stopped at a Shell gas station right off uh, Highway 84 after the airport, okay? I uh, stopped there, and uh, the uh, gentleman who filled up my gas tank surprised me because I, you know, grew up in California, even though I was born in the state of Oregon. I forgot that you don't pump your own gas in Oregon. So this guy gets out. Uh, he comes out of the place, and it was a cold night, and uh, he fills up the tank, and he he did the window washing, which surprised me. I'm not comfortable with the window washing anyway. I don't, I'm not coming to get my windows washed. If I was going to get the car washed, I would do it myself. But he pulls out the thing, and he starts washing the windows. Then I felt bad, and I was like, do I need to tip him, right? I'm not from here. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I don't have time to Google this. So I'm at the gas station. I pull out a couple of bucks, and I say, hey, do you generally get tipped? And he says, yes, we do. Smart, <laughs> so, smart, smart. And so I tipped him. And then I found out later somebody goes, oh, they took advantage of you. Uh, do you, yeah, why not? Why don't we tip at a gas station? I mean, we should. I think in theory, I haven't ever done it, but I feel like it's probably, it should, like, <laughs> our, our, uh, our rules should change. Like, that is a service that they're giving us, especially if you're not pumping your own gas. And I, I, I do prefer, you know, I, I like when they're washed by windows. I think it's a good little plus. You think so? I do. I don't need that. I do. Because the rest of my car is often not clean, and so they clean the windshield, and I'm like, I could just do the squirty thing, and then the things go back and forth, and I could almost do the same job on it, you know, and I feel bad. I feel elitist if if somebody who's working at a gas station is, 
is cleaning <laughs> cleaning yeah, the I windshield. Mean, I don't expect it. I don't expect it. I think it's a nice little surprise. Do you, and you, you don't tip? No. Isn't it awkward, though, if you're making eye contact with I the just person? I don't make eye contact. You just look, at, look at your phone. <laughs> Talk to the kids in the back or something. Look at away. Here's another one. I, I went through one of those gas station car washes in the summer, and it's not far from my house. And uh, they had, like, a high school kid who was at the end of the car wash. You know, the car wash had the washer and it has the soap studs and it has everything. It's one of those automatic car washes that all these gas stations have. And But it has the blower at the end that's supposed to dry the car off. And it was a warm day. But they had a high school kid who was standing beyond the car thing with, like, a towel. And I guess it was his job to kind of wipe the car down. And I noticed the car in front of me opened the door and tipped him, okay? I didn't have any cash on me, okay? Awkward situation. I'm coming through the blower, and I'm going, great. What do I do now? Do I tip this guy? And so I looked into my cup holder, and in my cup holder, I had a coupon for a free Jamba juice at Jamba, okay? Do, is it poor form? To pull out the Jamba card and go, hey, I don't have any cash, have a Jamba. Is that poor form, or should I have just done what Steven did and make no eye contact and drive away? I mean, it's not as good as cash, but if I, they're going to understand, like, oh, man, I didn't, I, I didn't have a couple bucks here. I want to give you something. Like, a high school kid especially will appreciate yeah. that. I mean, I think, yeah, if you don't have cash, I think you could ask them, too. Like, hey, I don't have any cash on me, but do you want this Jamba, free Jamba juice? And I didn't want to roll my window down because I didn't want to leave, like, a mark on the window. So so I opened the door, and I said, hey, I said, I don't have any cash. You want a free Jamba? And he said, heck yeah, and he took it. It was a hot day. Maybe maybe that spoke to him. So I gave him a coupon for Jamba Juice. Yeah, I would love a you know, free Jamba. I think that would be great. Yeah, and uh, there, there, there you go. But, but I was like, I don't have any, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't walk around with a bunch of, and there's nothing more awkward, too, like if you're in a tipping situation, you reach into your pocket, and you've got, Let's say you want to tip a buck or two, okay? But you pull out, and all you got are, like, you got a couple of fives and a ten. And you there's this awkward moment where you can go, hey, can you give me three bucks back? Yeah. Or. You can't, or, you can't do that, yeah. No. That, or, that's the problem with not having cash anymore. Like, you'd have to do it on Venmo or something like that. Like, electronically, that's the best way to do it. But, you know, in certain situations, you have to do cash, and I don't really have cash. There are some businesses that have gone all cash, too, because uh, the coffee shop that I used to go to most frequently used to have a little jar there that you could buy your coffee with cash, and then you could put the change, or you could put the, a buck or two into the jar, and then I felt like I was, you know, hey, I'm tipping. And, and, off, and also, you know, there is a, there's a little, uh, there's a little uh, brain chemistry there. There's a little payoff for the person who's serving you. They actually see you put the tip in, and... You put the tip in. You, everybody feels like they're getting something out of the transaction. Like, you know I'm tipping. I know I'm tipping. Here you go. It's a pat on the back. Now they do the. They say, hey, use the app, or you can just pay electronically. It's not the same. What? I think there's a little something something when you when you actually put a dollar into their jar. Everything goes back to Seinfeld. There's the episode where George does that. He tries to wait, and you have the person see you tip. You have to do it. <laughs> reach his hand back in the tip jar. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree. <laughs> George gets caught yeah. putting the you tip want, back in. You want in. the credit. Like, if you're being nice, you want credit for it. Damn right. All right, Sam's in Vancouver. Sam, what's up, man? 
Hey, I just wanted to uh, add to you saying about giving somebody the Jamba Juice gift card. Um, I work at an establishment, and the same customer comes in and gets us a uh, $5 gift card for Starbucks and, like, four or five of those Lindor chocolates. And, you know, we're all happy with that because, yeah. you know, and really it kind of anything is good. Yes. I, I, I appreciate that. What kind of business is it? You don't have to tell us the name of it, but what kind of uh, establishment? I actually work at a, a cannabis dispensary. Okay, okay. What's the tipping etiquette in a cannabis dispensary? <laughs> it's uh, it, it's pretty decent. I'm usually in the back at my position, but uh, the people out on the floor, um, I mean, anywhere from like thirty to, I mean, geez, I don't know, eighty. But you know, some of, some of the people that tell me that, you know, they could be blowing smoke, but uh, it's 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 pretty decent. All right, there you go. I would wonder, guys. I would think that it would be similar to to like bartending tips. Like the cannabis person, uh, I hear. No? Th- I hear there's a tip jar at the dispensary. I hear there's a visible jar. Oh, there is. You hear that? Okay, that's good to know. I have a friend who knows a friend. <laughs> you have a friend <laughs> who knows a friend. Right now in a Russian prison, Brittany Griner telling someone the same story. Um, all right, here we go. Um, the show. <laughs> that's how we're going out today. It's been that kind of show. Look, we're back tomorrow. Softy from KJR in Seattle on tomorrow's show. Should be interesting. If you're listening in Portland on 750 The Game, Talk Timbers is coming up. Uh, Peter Sampson, you got the Pulse coming up tomorrow night, Thursday and Friday? You got shows Thursday, Friday? Uh, just Friday. We got a just Thursday Friday. night football. I'm doing podcast-only right. editions on my preemption day. Ooh, so. how do they find that? Uh, anywhere you get a podcast, just search for The Pulse with Peter Sampson. Keep it nice and tight, just a half hour, what's relevant, and you can find it anywhere. And Stephen, are you still doing the Blazer podcast? Uh, the yeah, Believe-, Believe in Blazers podcast. Check that out anywhere you get podcasts as well. All right, there you go. Don't be afraid to promote your stuff, because you know that uh, I'll just meander and talk about tips until the end of the show. And uh, there we go. So we'll catch you tomorrow on the Bald Face Truth. We're back with another great show tomorrow. Uh, we're out.